0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your Jallo pal, Chris, checking in with you. We have reached the one hour and 33 minute mark here at episode nine of the Jallo Chow Chow podcast, where we cover Naked You Die with special guest Al Owens. Now, if you're listening to this at the end of part one, head over to part two for scene by scene analysis, if you are so inclined. And if you're listening to this at the beginning of part two, Stay tuned for scene-by-scene analysis of the film Naked You Die by Antonio Margheriti. Thanks, everybody, and ciao, ciao. Okay. Anyway, um, let's get into this film. Um, The opening scene really needs to be discussed. Now, um, I have a couple questions for you because and I'm watching this and I'm making assumptions about what I'm seeing. The scene. oh, Oh, and by the way, I should just I should just admit not even admit, but I should just mention right now that I've had this. I had this film in my queue of films to watch for probably four or five years and never watched it primarily because it was an early one. And the stuff that I read on the internet was, Hey, it says naked you die, but there's no nudity and there's no violence. So don't watch it. Skip skip it over. So I never watched it, but I always, I had the, um, I had, I had, I downloaded a a copy of the file from the, you know, from the BitTorrents Hmm. and the first three seconds is, you know, Zoom out of that painting with the acoustic guitar playing and the music. And I love and I that. I just remember painting. seeing
1: that painting is awesome.
0: Yeah. The, that painting is awesome. Yes. Yeah. So I remember seeing that first 10 seconds a million times and now I'm finally watching it. Okay. So we have this young woman and she's packing a trunk. She's doing just, you know, the things that you do. I think the term I remember... Looking up as ablutions, it's just like you know you're getting yourself ready, you're 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 cleaning yourself, you're packing up whatever. She's doing her ablutions, Mm -hmm. and right off the bat, here's my question: I'm seeing this antenna that's coming up from the radio Mm -hmm. that she's listening to, and these flowers that are in a vase, and it looks like a mirror. It looks like she's looking into a mirror. Did you get that, or is am I just crazy?
1: So it looks like the image that we're seeing is a reflection?
0: Yeah, like it's almost as if... the Like when I saw the antenna, my eyes did this weird visual um, misrepresentation and turned it into like a mirror that had multiple segments or dividers. And she's Um, like looking at herself in it. I I guess it was I don't know, because if
1: you think that, then you're waiting for the moment where the camera finally pans to some point where you see the the frame of the mirror you know right i didn't notice that but once she walks into the bathroom that's where my eyes played a trick on me but okay i'll let you finish
0: no what was what was that because i mean we might as well okay she walks into
1: the bathroom she goes over she turns on the water for the bathtub and she turns to walk away towards the sink. Right okay the first time i saw this right at that point my coffee maker lets me know that the coffee's <laughs> ready so i pause it i run into the kitchen to fix my little uh espresso you would call it right i come back and i look at the screen and i'm like oh shit where'd she go <laughs> it's like she disappeared yeah because the wallpaper and her bathrobe it's like she's yes! camouflaged into it so I come in stirring my it's coffee, a, and I'm like, "Shit! Somebody cut her head off." You know, like, her, <laughs> no, no, wait. No, you know. <laughs> so I had. To, I'm
0: so glad you mentioned that because I would have never remembered. Yes, absolutely. The wallpaper and the robe are almost the same thing, and it's like a camouflage almost. Right, yeah. and,
1: and there's a scene I think in uh, Garden State with Zach Braff, where his mom gives okay. him a shirt, and then he cuts to him trying it on, and he's in the bathroom. And the cloth that she used for the shirt that she made him is exactly the same as the wallpaper that she just put up that he's standing in front of. <laughs> so. Um, it kind I of, haven't
0: seen that film in a while, but I do remember, I think I vaguely remember that, that particular scene. Well, that's but what yeah. happened
1: to me. I pause it and it's like, she just disappeared. And she's just like a floating head in the middle of the screen until I press play <laughs> again. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. That's her bathroom.
0: Well, the next um, the next thing I have on mine in my notes is and I think we even may have discussed this on the podcast a long time ago and gotten your input on this. Hmm. Um, there are a lot of Italian films. And for me, when I say Italian films, it's mostly horror and giallo because those are the ones I watch where if somebody's in the bathtub, um, the faucet is in the middle of the bathtub. Right. And I think we talked about this already because of the way that they engineered the piping or the plumbing.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think I sent you guys a picture of my parents' bathroom. Yeah, way back I in think the day. you did. And, and I the think faucet you did. is right there in the center of the tub. And uh, here it is again as she's getting into her bubble bath. I... You know i think at the time when i sent you that picture and you first asked about it i was looking at it as these buildings were built long before indoor plumbing so uh, the you know there's not plumbing on every interior wall of the apartment or the house and you have to put the faucet where the pipe is duh right yeah uh and looking at this I might get away with the same excuse, but you know, the parent the, the apartment my parents live in was built in the like late eighties and they still have this the faucet in the middle of the tub. Okay. Uh, I don't know why. I mean,
0: maybe there there may be some sort of engineering reason why that's better. For the for the tub itself, but I don't know. Well, you know, um, I just find it really interesting because you know, I, I grew up in America, and, and every faucet that I've ever seen is at the end, at one end of the tub. Right. So.
1: Yeah, and that always made sense to me because I kind of grew up the you know the same way. But right. looking at her laying in the bathtub now, and I'm at like the, the minute thirty three mark. If you have the faucet on one end of the tub or another then if there's a second person sharing the tub with you, they're going to be stabbing themselves in the back of the neck with yeah. the, the faucet. So maybe it's just more, I don't know, uh, save that's water a good point. with your friend friendly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, and, and uh, I, I'm, that's, that's really interesting from a, you know, just a logistical standpoint, because, I think about um, four flies on gray velvet and there's a bathtub scene where um, there's two people in the tub. Right. And the and from what I remember, my recollection is that the the faucet is in the middle as well. Um, And that's a very (laughs) interesting (laughs) observation that you would never, you know, know, like and, and, you know, the question is. Uh, what it's like a chicken and egg are do, do, did we get inspired to do a person, two person tub scene because uh, th- the drain is in the middle or do we need to find a tub with a drain in the middle because we have a two person bathtub scene? You know, it's like okay, but both of those suppositions
1: not- imply that, you know, the, the placement of the faucet had to do with get busy in the bathtub, you know, it could have just been, you know, well, sometimes, uh, when I take a bath, I want to read the newspaper, and the sunlight from this window, uh, you know, comes in on this side of the tub, so I can put myself there. Uh, but the outlet is over here, so if I take a bath at night, I need to plug in the lamp on the other end. You know, it could just be, <laughs> you know. It oh, could go thing. on and on. Right. To simplify it, if you have the 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 faucet at one end of the tub or the other there's only one way you're going to sit in that tub right 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 if yeah. you have it in the middle the opposite you end. have options you know yes. it's like well do i want to put my back against this side or that
0: side or you know well and the and the other question is why so she's in the i'm now at the point where she's in the tub right um Why is the water green? Did she add something to the water, like some sort of like essential oil or powder or something? Or is that just the color of water? Something not a lot of
1: people know. And, you know, don't tell this or broadcast it on a podcast or anything. (laughs) In Italy, we bathe in olive oil. And that's how we... (laughs) And uh, I can tell just by looking. uh, she's, uh, She's a very picky bather. She looks like she's using extra virgin bath oil (laughs) and uh, the bubbles you probably imported from somewhere else
0: could be i don't know it it
1: could just be some weird funky bath salts or something all the baths i've taken in italy i've I've never had green water so
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay good to know um i'm glad it's just you know, the film and not, you know, the country in general or the area in general, whatever. Right. Uh, or maybe it is, who knows? You've never been to that area. I don't know. Or maybe her
1: building um, had really bad pipes. Or
0: something yeah. Like it could be just that. Yep. Um, anyway. So, you know, we're obviously spending way too much time on a bathtub, but um, things get crazy pretty quickly in this scene. The black love shows up. Um, he comes in with his finger and he turns the volume up on the, on the, music she's listening to and there's really no suspense here it's like we're gonna turn up the volume and two seconds later she's like wait a minute why is everything louder and now the door's opening and now here comes the killer like um
1: okay well see i have a question about that it's like she doesn't turn around until the door starts opening right so was it the volume being raised that got her attention or was it the door opening that got her attention
0: oh that yeah, that's a good point. I'm not, sh- you know, if you go back and and frame by frame it, it's very possible that she doesn't notice or turn around um, until the door is open. Mm-hmm. But I think the point is that you know, obviously, the killer's going in to turn the volume up so that no one hears her scream. Exactly. But if you're in the bathtub and you turn the mu- the music on to accompany your bath, and all of a sudden it got a lot louder, you know, you would notice. So I don't know you know, which one it is, yeah. but, um, so if that ever happens, but
1: I, immediately start screaming. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and look, and yeah, exactly. Well, but again, I think the, the point or where I was going with this is that in an Argento film or in a film that followed Argento, you would get two or three more minutes. Well, I don't know about two or three more minutes, but you get a, at least 30 to 40 seconds more of kind of tension building. And in this particular case, it's like, here we are, Murders taking place. We've got the strangulation. We're gonna put you underneath the water. Um, you're gonna you're gonna die. Um and then the killer pulls the body out of the tub and puts it in the trunk that she is packing. And um Then we go to the credits. I mean, I love this. I, I think this is one of my favorite opening Jalo scenes of all time. I mean, it's not the it's not number one, but it's within the top Five, it ten,
1: gets right sure. into it you know
0: yeah i love it and then we have the song that sounds a lot like the batman theme <laughs>
1: my son noticed that the first time i watched it he was like are you watching batman i was like no he's like i know you're not because it's, it's some italian 60s I don't know weird thing that you watch but they stole the <laughs> batman song and i was so proud of him they... that he recognized that you know so.
0: No, that's great. I mean, you know, to even know the Batman theme at this point. Yeah. I raised him right. I mean, the, yeah, <laughs> good job. <laughs> but, you know, it would have been funny if they did the credit sequence while they're playing the song. And then there were those like action words on the yeah, screen. Bam, like, pow, bow. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Gurgle. <laughs> glug, glug, glug. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so the trunk <laughs> The trunk um, Becomes a character For the next few seconds It uh, It's holding this body And it's being hoisted Onto these cars and driven around And this is where we get all of our credits In the credit sequence So um, once the song is over And um, The trunk has made its way to Wherever it is Wherever its destination is, we get this long scene that I we already talked about a little bit um, where we get we're, – we're introduced to the, all the adults in this movie um, with the exception of, like, the headmistress. So um, they're in this van. The, the trunk with the dead body is on the roof for some reason. Um, <laughs> and – we're driving up the switch back and we're talking about the teachers and we have uh, we get introduced to um, all the people that we're going to see for the next 90 minutes. We have um, Simon, who's the driver. He doesn't have very much to do with the film. We have um, Miss Martin, who is the blonde teacher. I forget what she teaches exactly, um, but she uh, kind of introduces everybody else. She seems to be the person who knows the most. Right. Um, and then we have um Dr. Brazi, who I think he is in the van. He's the athletics uh director, a gym teacher. He is. Yeah. Um and then we have um let's see, we have uh did I say la La Flore? La Flore is in the in the in the bus as well. He He's considered the uh handyman guy. Mm-hmm. And then we have Miss Clay. And Miss Clay is obviously out of place in some sort of way. Like you look at her and you go, there's, there's hmm. something about her that I'm not really sure what's going on. Um, Are they making it out to be that you need to notice her for a reason, or you need to notice her because it's a distraction.
1: Well, you certainly um, notice her. <laughs> yeah. She does stick out. Yeah.
0: She sticks out. And later on, as the film goes on, Miss Clay has this very deep voice that, Oh, you I just think, assume is, you know.
1: I think right off the bat, she was obviously dubbed by a man. I mean, as soon as, yes. in the van, as soon as she opens her mouth, it's like, Michael's ID, you know? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I've heard that voice before on a spaghetti western, yes. you know? <laughs> exactly. And I, is, well, is it just me, or does she look like she's wearing a wig already in the van? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, I think. The movie kind of gives itself away, but then the first uh, let me check, yeah, six and a half minutes, you know. But.
0: Well, it, but but you know what's really interesting about it is that, I you know, and maybe it's just you know twenty twenty, you know, um, it's consciousness. But um, I I'm thinking maybe we're just going to find out eventually that Miss Clay is some sort of a transitioning or. Uh, one way or another, um, gender bending. I, I don't know what the proper words are anymore. It's hard to know. Non-binary, um, or
1: something. but
0: non-binary, whatever. Um, maybe that's what we're gonna find out about Miss Clay, and nothing more than that. Not, not that she is, you know, diabolical, you know, and, and because uh, again, okay, so we're watching a film where there's a murder hmm before we even meet the characters so you're supposed to assume now that you're meeting the characters that one of them is the murderer so because the body to...
1: is in a trunk on the roof of <laughs> on this the roof. van, so <laughs> right, unless exactly. the
0: killer put it there to prank
1: somebody when they get to their destination <laughs> and expect to find their pajamas and underwear when they open the truck right. the killer is somebody in this van right right i mean it kind of has
0: and, to be <laughs> It has to be. So it's, you know, the question of whether this is a red herring or an obvious one. Um, And uh, okay. so anyway, we meet Miss Clay. We're also uh, they also discuss Professor Andre, who's the entomologist who oversees the bug house. And we're also introduced to Richard Barrett. Who is the equestrian teacher? No, um, who's Richard only been there for the
1: riding teacher.
0: <laughs> the riding teacher, well, oink, and oink. doesn't he refer to him? Doesn't he? Re... <laughs> Isn't mean, it? Doesn't he refer to himself as Richard the Great or Richard? Oh, the... later he's Richard
1: the Lionhearted, but he's still a Richard. You know what I'm saying? He's, <laughs> he, he's yeah, always Richard. Richard. You know, you can call me, <laughs> you know, Richard, but. I think even in the subtitles, they call him the writing teacher. Don't they? I know in Italian, they say he's the equestrian teacher.
0: I I don't, the, the subtitles that I watched on, um, the YouTube version or the, it's not even the YouTube version. Actually, I have a copy of it from somewhere. Um, yeah, I don't know who did the subtitles. It's really interesting for me to be speaking, you know, to be discussing the film with somebody who, Did you need to to put the subtitles on or did you watch the film and and just watch it in its native Italian? The first time I watched it, I watched it just in the, the straight Italian
1: because I'm the type that as soon as I start watching something where the subtitles aren't perfectly in line with what I'm hearing, and that happens sometimes even with English films. You know, right. the, the English dialogue is different from the English subtitles, and it yes. just drives me nuts. I lose it. Right. right. So the first time I watched it in Italian, and then I watched it uh, with the subtitles, but I think in the subtitles I have, they call him uh, the writing teacher, which I thought was just hilarious yeah. because of things that happen later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's exactly. the writing teacher. Great. He's the writing teacher, all right. Okay. I guess no, that's uh, a good point. I guess Mister Munch, the bush trimming teacher, was still on vacation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but at least Dick is back, you know. Great. Yeah, Dick is well, and and uh, um, but but that's that's a that's a pretty funny thing that you bring up because in Italian, um. Is uh do they still use the word dick as a short um nickname for the word Richard in Italian or no? No, no, Not necessarily. no
1: necessarily. I mean there's so just like in English there's a lot of uh different slang terms for that body part, but none of them have to do with Richard, you know.
0: Oh, okay. And, so that's an American only Yeah, thing, so right? I don't think the Italians
1: as they were making this film are kind of snickering to each other, Oh, Dick is the writing teacher. But <laughs> I guarantee you Mark Damon knew damn well what he was saying or what was happening, and you know, right? And he went along with it anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: He's probably on the phone at the hotel between, you know, between shooting schedules. Like, dude, they got me playing this guy named Dick, and I'm a writing DJ.
0: Yeah. Well, he's doing love scenes with eighteen-year-olds, so I mean, he can't be that unhappy. Well, so. with
1: twenty-year-olds, yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Well, she was, gonna, yeah, I guess in the film she. In the film, she, she was 17. 18. She was 17. Okay.
1: Which, okay, I'll kind of, I was going to save this for later, but may as well do it now. He was, the actor, Mark Damon, was 35 years old when they shot this mm. film.
2: Okay. Eleonora
1: Brown, who plays Lucille, was 20. Okay. Okay. And there's a scene where they're making out and it's implied that he's her lover or, you know, trying to be lover. And what I referenced earlier was, you know, her first movie at twelve, her character had a very bad time, but that was at the beginning of her career. And when they get to this one where she has to make out with a thirty-five year old guy, she says, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) This is too much. I've had enough. I'm gonna go do something else for fifty years. And, uh, you know, so thanks a lot
0: mark damon <laughs> that's really uh, <laughs> that's that's crazy <laughs> oh my god yeah it, it's a strange world mm-hmm. i'll tell you it's not what else can you say i mean well i would have liked um, to see
1: her in more films especially as the 70s came along you know yeah i mean she yeah, i think she's so like too. you said earlier she's a great actress
0: And she's not hard to look at. So, you
1: know.
0: Right. Too bad. Yep. So, okay. So we get, we finally, you know, one of the other things I picked up from this introduction is they were talking about how there's only six girls at the facility now. And a lot of them have either gone home or they're, they're spending some vacation time with their parents. And I guess that's to imply that this is summertime. I don't know why that matters, but it seems like, it's summertime going on now and they're not actually taking classes, but they're still at this facility
2: Right.
0: Um, because half of the, the college is not in session. You know, they half the college population isn't gone and, and classes really aren't in session, which makes sense because we don't really see any scenes where there's a class. So they talk about, you know, maybe there's going to be a skin diving class, but it seems like all they're doing really is just hanging out at this facility. And that's that's all that's going on. Maybe they're going to learn to do some riding.
1: Right. Well, <laughs> it's kind of it. like it reminds me of during spring break when, you know, most of the campus would be empty, but there's always a few stragglers left behind in the yes. dorms, you know, so right. I guess these are the stragglers.
0: So we get to the scene where the girls are at the pool and. Um, the very first thing that I noticed besides the pool itself, because there's a lot of. Jalo from this period jali from this period that have a pool in either one of the scenes and and it's a pivotal scene or maybe it's not a pivotal scene it's just part of the scenery but um and that may be just because of the, the types of films you know a lot of the a lot of the films from this period um focus on the jet set culture and and uh you know style And there's always a pool somewhere. But um, the other thing I noticed was that um, we're introduced to Jill kind of first because she's the one who's talking Mm -hmm. in the scene the most. Um, But all the girls have the same bathing suit. And, um, you know, you watch this and later on you realize that the girls wear the same bathing suits. They wear the same nightgowns. They wear the same Um, dressing gowns they wear the same other outfits and that's actually important to the plot (laughs) Uh um but you don't really know that it's important to the plot until at least for me i didn't know it was important to the plot until the end or you know the second viewing um well it's
1: like everything they wear is part of some kind of uniform right even betty ann's writing outfit kind of matches the bathing suits
0: Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. And she's the only one that's not wearing a bathing suit in this scene. She's, she's ready to jump on the horse. She's got everything she needs. But so, so, so Jill is just talking about, you know, the fact that she can't wait to meet the Italian riding teacher. And (laughs) I'm not really, I'm not really sure I understand. And this may just be one of those continuity things, but um, they say that Richard was new within the last two months. He's not arriving for the very first time, but they're also talking about that the girls are excited that new teachers are arriving today. Okay, I think the
1: new teachers that they're talking to are um, DiPrati, the uh, I guess the the gym teacher, okay, Miss Clay,
0: right? Okay, because so they established the in
1: the van that uh richard had already been there for a couple months but he's still like the new guy and in the original italian language it didn't show up on my english subtitles but uh miss martin makes a comment about how uh he's the new boy at the school implying that the girls are interested in him because he's the new guy around right and he says something like yeah and that makes you jealous which is kind of... a Yeah, hint. yeah, yeah. Right. I remember that. So that's yep. kind of foreshadowing or, you know, a clue to character aspects of Miss Martin.
0: But my only question was, why was it... It seemed like Jill was saying that she had never seen him before. Um, Like, you know, oh, you know, I hear he's Italian. And then the next scene where the teachers arrive and Jill is spying on, you know, Jill and the other two girls are spying on the teacher Teachers that are getting out of the car and she's like, Oh boy, look at him. He looks great. Like it, it's almost as if she had never seen him before, but no, I think there, that was she's confusing talking to me. about me the older guy.
1: Oh, is she talking about the gym teacher? Yeah. Really? Okay. Because there are some comments, you know, huh. at the opening, yeah, where I, they're at the I pool never got and they're that. kind of teasing each other and she's kind of getting on Lucille's nerves. There are some comments about right. how she likes old older men. And one of the girls says uh, oh, okay. something about, "Oh, I hear he's almost sixty, and he has a face like shoe leather." I mean, in the in the original Italian, So yes. he's probably exactly yes. your type. And the English subtitles kind of just <laughs> smeared all over that, and you know, yeah, left yeah. a lot of that out. But they're <laughs> establishing at the pool before they run off to see the teachers that um, that a Lucille has some kind of interest or already involvement with the writing teacher and also that they know that betty ann is kind of interested in him too and also that jill has a thing for older men which does Mm. come up
0: later okay all right you you know what i'm i i don't know if it's just that i didn't catch that because i'm dense or if i didn't catch it because i didn't get the translation properly um it may be a little of both to be honest with you well there um, are
1: a lot of discrepancies in the the subtitles with the original italian language that i think okay. would clarify things if they were done better and there are certain points that i'll point out where they just completely don't bother Translating like the end part of what somebody says. Okay. Like a a final little tag of a comment that does affect the plot and the way you should perceive things. Ah, okay. But that's not in the subtitle.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, So after um, the teachers arrive and they're hoisting this giant, this hugely heavy trunk off the roof and Jill mentions about, Hey, there might be a dead body in there. Um, I, and, and also Jill receives a package that came from the, the, when they went into town and we'll, I guess we'll find out about that in a minute. But um, the next thing I have in my notes is that I kind of took the next bunch of scenes, you know, quickly instead of um, like, I, I feel like the, the teachers talking about each other in the van on the way up and the girls reacting to that scene in the next scene by the pool are good scenes like important scenes. But then we've got a bunch of like little scenes that are taking up some time that I just kind of bullet pointed really quickly. And let me know as I go through them, if there are any that you want to expand on. So uh, first of all, um, and this may be again my 2020 sensibility, but um, clearly we're going to eventually find out that Miss Clay is a man dressing up as a woman. Um, but there is a woman named Miss Trans
1: Transfield.
0: Transfield, and she's the woman who runs the. The, she's like the headmistress of the college. Right. And I just thought that that was way too like On funny to be a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever met somebody uh, named Transfield?
1: No. Yeah, me neither. I, I think that uh, that sounds like a totally, I need a last name that will fit the plot <laughs> that might or might not exist in reality. You know? <laughs> It'd be cool to Google Mr. or Mrs. Transfield and see how many hits you get, but. Yeah. I don't think it's You're an right. That's... <laughs> and If you think about it, Miss Clay, okay? Clay is something that's malleable that you can use yeah. to sculpt things. So that, you know, it might be a stretch, but that might be a hint also about Miss Clay. Well, that,
0: that's that's a great observation. And if you tie that back to some of the trivia that I, I looked up where the script was actually written by two other English um, are you still there? Hang on. Yeah, I'm here. Oh uh, no, my. I thought I was on my phone. My phone was ringing for a second, and I thought it was interrupting the call. <laughs> but I'm on the computer. Uh, anyway, um, the fact that Bava wrote the film uh, with people who were English screenwriters instead of Italian screenwriters—that's what I read. Was that uh, I, I read that in in uh, on Wikipedia? So that makes sense that they would come up with. Names like Clay and Transfield and Barrett, um, because, you know, I would assume that if you had an all Italian screenwriting group, that the names would have more Italian sounding, you know, would be more Italian sounding than Clay and Transfield. Well, I think that might be part of them
1: trying to set it somewhere outside of Italy as well, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good point. Cause you don't really know where it's supposed to be happening. Yeah. And the name of the college is very Anglo, you know? Uh, so um, anyway, so what I have for bullet points, let me know if any of these need more discussion. Okay. Miss um, Transfield and Miss Martin, they have rooms next to each other. Um, that's no big deal. Um, the trunk has moved into the cellar. Um and at one point it stood upright. Uh, I thought it was funny that, you know, nobody noticed that anything shifted uh, while they moved it. Right. Um, uh, or Richard, nothing uh, leaked and, and, out know, of it. Well, I guess oh, there's yeah, no that's true open too.
1: wound, so it's not like she would have been bleeding, but you think no, there would be some sort of odor, you know?
0: Even Yeah, that's something. something. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I wrote here is once everybody shows up to the college and the girls are coming out to see who's who's new everybody is acting suspicious i mean like overtly suspicious um they just all got these shifty eye looks and these weird like body languages and uh, miss transfield has got that going on and, and la Flore has got that going on um mm-hmm. well we need have to richard establish a bunch yeah. of red herrings
1: you know yes Absolutely. To, to distract I mean, I, you, you from know, the it, fact that you heard a man's voice come out of Miss Clay when she was talking. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it might not be her. Right. I mean, it, it might be, and it might not be him. Her. She might um, have a hormonal imbalance. But, yeah. Get and that's all. And that's Real that's yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um. Let's see. So Richard and Lucille uh, have this little meeting, and they agree to meet later at the Bug House. Uh-huh. Um, after betty
1: ann basically throws herself at richard
0: right yes uh, even though he's, he's wearing like, an
1: ascot <laughs> 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 this guy's getting a lot of work done <laughs>
2: yeah right
0: and then uh and then at one point i think what miss miss transfield comes out and says you can't schedule private lessons with the girls right. so yeah you
1: know. those girls are for me to
0: but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> me and miss clay have the quarter on the market yeah, here. hands off uh, Mister man <laughs> <laughs> um let's see so we find out that i think jill the little package jill got were the walkie talkies uh-huh. i think that was what was in the package yeah. um also i have here why is there a suit of armor in the girl's bedroom <laughs> um <laughs> i don't understand that Maybe she transferred back to, from
1: Slaughter Hotel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly what it reminded me of, Slaughter Hotel. Yeah. Um But going back to the thing that I talk about that I've talked about a couple of times with Bava, Bava's influence, the bedrooms are very much appointed and set like Bava Gothic sort of kind of gothic scenery. Um I every time they're in the in the bedrooms I'm noticing that they're appointed that way well Um, i I think
1: as far as the armor and stuff i think that's just jill's bedroom and it's to uh reinforce the idea that her father is a world traveling businessman of means who probably sends her a lot of his souvenirs you know
0: oh okay i never i don't see why your teenage daughter
1: would need a suit of armor at a boarding school but you know, maybe he knows more than
0: I do <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's a good point I, I never I never would have thought of that that's interesting so okay um then we have a scene with La flore he's acting suspicious he's got the sickle um Jill's looking in on him he scares her um dr Brazi comes and talks to miss transfield about how he wants to start teaching skin diving to the girls. Um, and I feel like all of these things are setting things up so that later we say, Oh, don't forget. He said he was going to do this. Um, and now that's the reason why he's the killer. Like later on, we see Brodsey walking around with skin diving pants on right after somebody was attacked in the pool with the skin diving suit. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, it's gotta be him. He's wearing the evidence. Um, So I think this is, this is the time in the movie where they're setting all this stuff up. So we're, you know, till we go back to it later. Right. And for Lafourette, when he's going uh,
1: down to his shed, right, we see him walking down the steps. Yeah. Did you notice that his belt was well below the belt loops of his pants? No, I didn't. Okay. I must have just paused it at a weird moment and noticed it. But it's like he completely missed his belt loops, and his belt is like three inches below where they're supposed to be. And I thought, okay, was that just a mistake, or does P. Goetze just like to wear his pants like that, or are we supposed to imply (laughs) that this guy's a little special? But but when he's in his shed and he's... You know, admiring his sickle, right? And Betty Ann knocks on the door. He hides the sickle real quick. Right. Why? He's a groundskeeper. He's in a tool <laughs> shed, obviously. I mean, there's sickles all in hoes and rakes, and you know. Yes. And I think that's just to establish him as a red herring. Right. Which they kind of defeat it again pretty soon but i think that the key takeaway for this as far as what comes later um because after betty ann leaves we see jill creep up outside and she starts peeking in the window yes and he catches her i think they were making a point that la is very sensitive to people peeking in windows okay and that comes up later because he's a window peeker too know what i mean
0: yes yes he's yeah he climbs up the tree later to look in the shower right um
1: so if he wasn't a peeping tom would he have been it's like he has a spider sense from when somebody's looking in a window (laughs) (laughs) and i thought that was just an interesting little tie-in to the fact that you know he's one of those himself you know like guilty people are always paranoid about other people doing what they're doing to them Yes, you know, right. I think that's a little... Uh,
0: They're hypersensitive to exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. So I thought
1: that was a cool little touch. That doesn't really go...
0: Well, yeah. The, and, and the other thing that you bring up, too, is is really interesting. I never thought about it. Like, they the way that they establish this scene where he's got the sickle and hides it. And you're right. The question is, why? I mean, if, if that's one of the things that he uses in his... In his, you know, normal day to day routine, he he shouldn't feel like he needs to be um, guilty of of holding it or having it other than the fact that the movie wants you to think that maybe he's the killer. Right. So um, it's like a plot device that isn't really something that, you know, is realistic to the character itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, yeah. And I just (laughs) I just saw him um, with his belt below his (laughs) <laughs> is below his thing yeah um that doesn't make any sense to me it, it's hard to do that another...
1: by accident you know so i'm wondering right. yeah is that is that supposed right. to be like this guy's a little a little bit you know slow <laughs> he's touched yeah. yeah uh okay later talking uh to brazzi talking to miss transfield in her office yes uh they're talking about the scuba lessons and um she's complaining about the scuba lessons and he's ex- he's telling her well all the you know all the fancy people are doing scuba now is kind of like the trendy jet setting sport of the time uh in the subtitles she says i think it's awful and then it stops but on the audio she continues by saying in italian and this was not translated at all in the the subtitles i have she says men aren't fish
0: (laughs) 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 i'm thinking okay
1: (laughs) uh you know draw whatever connections i'm at that
0: i'm at that exact scene so she the subtitles say i think it's awful besides it's dangerous Okay, she does not but, say
1: besides is dangerous. In Italian, she says men aren't fish. <laughs> men aren't okay? fish. That's why she doesn't yeah, like awesome. men. Right. <laughs> and then, in, in the same yeah. conversation, they were talking about the equipment that they need for the lessons. In the subtitles, he tells her, I've brought along everything we need for the first lessons. Right. What they cut in the subtitles is him adding, at the end of that, it's in my trunk. Okay,
0: Like, obviously, like the trunk, you know. Well, you know,
1: because he's a new teacher, he came in and there was more than one trunk on top of the van when they arrived.
0: Yes. And one of them is Betty Ann's trunk. Right. I mean, like, that's her. Well, she goes in to go get a trunk and there's two of them.
1: Okay. Well, I think Betty Ann's trunk was already in the basement because remember when? Uh, oh, okay. When uh, LaFleur asked her, "Where do I take him? Put him with the others?" and she says, "Yeah." So I think the basement is just where they put everybody's trunk. But ostensibly coming in on the van, they had Mrs. Clay's trunk and DiBrazzi's trunk because they're the new teachers. But okay. him saying that my that my sense. scuba equipment is in the tr- is in my trunk. Tells us now that there are two things in the basement, okay? There's the redhead bathtub body in the trunk. And, because it comes up later, we don't know this yet, but it comes up later, his scuba equipment is in the trunk. Okay. And then it cuts to Betty Ann going into the basement.
0: So later when we see somebody
1: playing around with the trunk, it's like, oh, is that somebody there because of the body, or is that somebody
0: there... For the scuba equipment, for the scuba gear, right. right? Okay. Well, that's interesting. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm seeing the scene where, in Italian, he says it's in my trunk, and the the very next edit is a picture of the trunk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, right, um, it cuts
1: immediately to the trunk.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. See, it's great to have somebody who, um, on these uh, Italian language only films, um, who knows the. The differences, but uh, that actually reminds me of a, a question I had about the film, which is: it doesn't seem like everybody is speaking Italian in this, by their lips, um, and I wonder if they ever tried to record an English soundtrack. Um, the film that the that you were talking about before with Sofia Loren was that an Italian or was that an English film?
1: Oh, that was a very Italian film. Um, I don't know if when it was released in America, if it was dubbed or if it was subtitled. Uh, okay, I know I've seen a subtitled version of it, but it's it's a you know it's like an Italian cinema classic. They show it over here you know a few times a year, just on a regular TV.
0: Okay, a- I just didn't know if um, the woman who plays Lucille. Spoke English. I mean, it's clear that Richard does um, if he's, you know, from Chicago. So, um, well, let's see. I think, Brown. I mean, Brown's not a very Italian
1: last name. Uh, Okay, she was born in Naples. Uh, I'm not saying, well, IMDb doesn't have anything else about her uh, family. Maybe Wikipedia does. I assume, unless she did one of those things where she adopted a a more English-sounding last name, I would assume that uh, maybe her dad is American or British. Right. She just happened to grow up and be born in Naples.
0: Cool. Uh, Well, at any rate, uh, it would really be interesting if they could, you know, all of a sudden they've unearthed some additional audio dubbed copy of this film in English and re-released it that way. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, and to, to, to take a divergence for a minute um, one of the things that a lot of giallo, um, aficionados insist on is that, Hey, this was really originally released in the Italian language um, so that's how I want to watch it. I don't want to watch it with the dubbed in English. I'd rather read the subtitles. And I, you know, I, that's, a, that's an opinion. That's obviously valid. But my question is if they, if they knew that this was going to be an international movie when they made it and they didn't have a soundstage ever, and they dubbed in all of the languages post-production, then why is the Italian language version soundtrack better um, than the, the one in English, unless it has something to do specifically with the actors doing their own voices in Italian.
1: I, I don't know. Uh, you would think if they had an international market in mind when they put this out in 68, then some of those versions would have been dubbed and some of those might still be around. Right. So why is there not an English dub? Maybe there was one and it just got lost, or...
0: Well, I think I think my question is, why is it that... What's the argument for always watching the version in Italian, even if there's an English audio version? Like, what's...
1: Oh, okay.
0: Well, I mean...
1: For, for these particular movies, at this time in Italy and I know also in Spain, when they shot movies, they would always shoot them without sound. And everything was dubbed later just to save money right. and time on the shooting schedule. Right. Um, so that kind of takes away from this argument, which I'll make, is you know if I'm watching a foreign film with foreign actors speaking their own language... I would rather take my chances by reading the subtitles and hoping they're more or less accurate and don't lose, you know, don't drop uh, effective plot points or character building facts that, you know, would contribute to my appreciation of the film. Because I'd rather hear, even if I don't understand the words you're saying, I'd rather hear that actor's expression in his own voice or her own voice. Okay. Okay. Um, when you dub somebody you know the greatest dub actor in the world isn't going to be as expressive as the actual actor you know what I mean
0: yes yeah that's true.
1: So if I had a choice I'd watch something in the original language <clears throat> with subtitles um, you know sometimes you know sometimes I have fun listening to the dub voices just because they sound so. Uh, there's like some kind of uh the uncanny valley yeah. you know of hearing a, yes. a dub voice over somebody yes and sometimes that's fun sometimes but
0: well I also wonder if it has to do with the way that you know the individualized way that you digest media like for me the way that my brain works if the if the movies in subtitles I feel like I'm not watching the film and listening to the film as much as I'm trying to read it. So I'm not paying as close attention to the inflections of the voices <clears throat> because A, I don't understand the language anyway, but on top of that, I'm spending most of my brain power reading subtitles. Mm-hmm. So um you know it, when I watch a Jallo um I don't really think about the fact that the sound I'm hearing that's coming from this person's mouth on the screen is not their voice. It's somebody else's voice. I I typically don't even register that as something to pay attention to. I just know that, Hey, I don't have to spend my, you know, uh, cognitive energy looking at the screen and reading things. I can actually look at the other stuff. Um, But I think like if you say, for example, If you look at Cat of Ninetales, for example, right? So obviously that was dubbed, Mm -hmm. but um, the guy who played the blind guy, um, now I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Carl Malden. Yeah. He did his own voice.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And then so compare that to, let's say, the fifth chord. And Franco Nero is in the fifth chord. And I don't know if the voice that I hear in the English language version of the fifth chord is his voice speaking English, or if it's somebody dubbed in. Um,
1: I would guess that he was so, dubbed back then.
0: So, I mean, that, that's one of the arguments. Like if you, if, if it's important to you to hear the voice of the real actor, then you want to hear the language. It was intended, you know, but the, then again, Like, I don't know Um, for this guy who plays rich, you know, Richard uh, Barrett, right? Mm -hmm. Is his dubbed in Italian voice, his, or if he's a, if he's an English speaking actor, maybe his language, maybe his voice was dubbed in by an Italian voiceover artist, right? That's possible.
1: Well, let's see if he had a big career in Italy, you know, because a lot of American actors, they just went to Italy once or twice, you know, basically to have a uh, working vacation. Yes. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, it
1: looks like he's done quite a few Italian films. So
0: maybe he did. So he may have. He might have. Did his own language. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think for an Italian audience, not me so much, because I'm not as sensitive to this as, you know, native Italians who've never left Italy, I have a hard time distinguishing uh, a foreigner's accent when they're speaking Italian than a native would, okay? Okay. So I can't look at Mark Damon and think, okay, this guy was born in Chicago but I'm hearing this voice come out of his face on the this movie. He sounds like an American, you know. I, I wouldn't be able to distinguish that, you know. Okay. maybe somebody else would. Interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Good point. Okay. Um, so next big scene that I have is Betty Ann is killed. Right. Um, so Betty Ann is looking for her trunk. She's already asked uh, La Flore where it is. And he's like, it's probably in the cellar with all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. She's like, now <laughs> we could probably spend hours talking about what I read in the subtitles versus what you heard in the actual Italian but at one point she was talking to La Flore and it seemed like he was not really giving her the information that she wanted. And she sarcastically said something like, gee, thanks for the info, you know. Um, but I don't know if that came through in the subtitles to me that way uh, and not in the Italian. But it was like she was like pissed that he didn't help her more um, than just say, go go to the cellar and look for it.
1: For that scene, I didn't have any notes regarding the subtitles as far as uh, discrepancies with the, the original okay. Italian. Uh, so, I'm not saying that the subtitles are 100% accurate, because they often aren't, but uh, as long as they didn't change the, the sense of what was happening, or you know the the important part of the dialogue, I didn't bother marking it, you know. Okay, otherwise I'd cool. be there for a week you know re-subtitling the whole thing yeah
0: exactly
1: but uh, so I think it's safe to uh, assume that what the subtitles said in that scene were more or less you know, the, okay. the general gist of what their conversation was
0: wasn't there, uh, remind me if I've got this wrong but wasn't there a film that you redid the subtitles for one of the Jalo? Yeah, films yeah
1: and oh. I, I fell down a rabbit hole that <laughs> lasted me a couple weeks it was when you guys were about to do uh house with the Laughing windows okay i had uh downloaded a version of it and i think that was one where also there was no english dub there were just the english subtitles to go by and there were right. valuable plot points that were left out of the subtitles. So I took it upon myself to contact Creep and say, look, I'm going to do, you know, there's some problems with the subtitles. I'm going to fix it for you. And then I fell down that very same rabbit hole that I was just talking about where, oh, well, that's not what she said. She said she used a different word. So I ended up resubtitling the entire film. And during <laughs> that same time period, I had twisted my knee working out one day with, uh, uh Friend of mine so everything i was doing that week including getting on the bus and going to my lessons everything was taking a lot longer than i expected and i was getting to learn the subtitling software and right. i was trying to get my subtitles to you guys before you recorded that episode but i, I missed <laughs> it by like a week and i think Creek might have got a little <laughs> pissed about that But listening to that episode, you guys brought up exactly the stuff that I was trying to fix. You know, there there was these questions like, well, how come this guy didn't do that? It's in the subtitles. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's not in the subtitles. It's in the original. language. Right. It's not. It's in. Yeah. So that's funny. So when I was doing this film, I was, you know, I caught myself. Oh, that's not what she said. Uh She said this instead of that. But, you know, then I had to pull myself back and say, look, um. I'm only going to bring it up if it's something that directly affects the plot or the character's perception of things that are happening. Or if it's some kind of line, even like a little throwaway remark, like men aren't fish, that kind of color a character, you know.
0: Right. Okay. Or, you know, like the fact that DeBratzy
1: said, I have my scuba gear. It's in my trunk.
0: It's in my trunk. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you
1: could leave that That's out, kind of but it kind of informs the viewer when somebody's going in the basement to pull the trunk out. It's, it kind of adds that dimension of, are they getting yes. the body or are they trying to get the scuba gear? You know?
0: So. Right. Because at this point in the in the movie, we don't know um, if there's, maybe there's more than one person who knows what's going on. It may not just be one person. Um, and, you know, the, between La Flore and the driver and the gym teacher, you know, maybe, you know, one person knows there's a body and the next person kind of knows that the other person knows something. You know, you, you don't really know mm-hmm. at this point, but, uh, okay. So, how about, you know, it, you'll, you, you'll interrupt me if, um, we hit a spot in the film where the, the, the language version and the subtitled version don't match for a good reason oh, sure yeah. but as far um, as
1: Betty Ann when she's yes. in the basement okay and remember when we talked earlier I was talking about ways in which this film addresses the, the Jalos gore tropes and then sometimes it doesn't or it doesn't do it you know in a satisfying way right on the Dallas Court, I think you call it uh, Three or More Suspects, which is basically red herrings, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. We just established, um, well, I would say that one of the red herrings would be Richard, the writing teacher, right? Yep. We established that Betty Ann has a crush on Richard, and she ran up to him in his ascot, and he's like, oh, I'm ready to go riding. And he's like, oh, later, I got this other thing to ride, right? <laughs> so, when she's in the basement, and she turns around and sees the killer approaching her, she does not react like it's
0: Richard. Yes. Because she okay. would be like, oh,
1: hey, Good thing, you know, lucky me, me bumping into you down here or something, right? Right. Yep. But the fact yep. that she's like, "Oh, oh, what are you doing?" You, uh, uh, that eliminates Richard as a red herring. Yeah. And they, and still, they try to reestablish him as a red herring later.
0: <laughs> it's yes. like we already know it's not him. Yes. Oh, that's a really good point. And then, and you know, and then you you have to wonder if we're paying too close attention compared to the audience that they had made this for right and see that's something i'm
1: not sure bava would have done you know Mm. i think if bava had written that script her reaction to seeing whoever it was come into the basement would have been at least neutral you know right she's looking at this person like what are you doing here oh my god Ugh which would be the exact opposite of her reaction if it was one of the other. If it was aliens, Richard. Mainly Richard. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Now, um, I have a question because I'm not. And we're really right at this scene, so I might as well just look at it in YouTube. But when she gets strangled. um Uh, okay, so I, I, I had to take a look at this again just now to make sure I was right or not right, but up until this point, we saw the first murder, the killer had black gloves on, and in this one, um, you can see for a second that it's a pair of man's male hands, I mean, I would say that they're male it almost reminds me of the flesh colored gloves that the killer wore in uh, black belly of the tarantula. Uh-huh. Cause it, it looks a little bit too smooth for them to just be, you know, hands. Right. Um, but later on in the movie, they start talking about fingerprints when they finally find Betty Ann
1: taking fingerprints and, off of her neck.
0: Yeah. And I was I was rebutting that whole part of it because I'm like, wait a minute. The, the killer was always wearing gloves. Why would they, how would they get fingerprints? But now that I'm watching it in real time as we're talking, the, there's no black gloves in that scene. And, and now I would need to go back to the murder of the other girl in the shower as well as La, La Fleuret and see if we saw any black gloves there. Well, but, in the shower, um,
1: the, the shower curtain is between the hands and the neck.
0: Yeah, and I I think there were black. Well, we'll get there eventually. Okay, yeah. But how do you strangle somebody from behind is the next question. But um, well, how Betty Ann and
1: redhead in the bathtub were strangled so quickly. I mean, it's like as soon right. as he touches their neck, Ugh, I'm dead. <laughs> and and at least the girl in the bathtub didn't see the guy coming, or was kind of surprised right. and you know caught off guard. Here, Betty Ann is looking up the staircase. What are you doing? What are you doing? What? And then she just stands there and she doesn't raise a hand and says, oh, your neck, your hands are around my neck. Now you're killing me. And it, it, come on. Yeah. She's hypnotized by who it is. Yeah. Probably thinking, is that an Adam's apple? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Wait a minute. Wait, what? Uh,
0: <laughs> well, okay. Um, <clears> okay. <throat> And I'm up to that same spot. I, I was just watching it on the YouTube again. On the YouTube. The so YouTube, like, yeah. You know, my grandmother would say that. Well, there's um, only
1: one, right? Okay.
0: <laughs> there's only one. Uh, so um, uh, we could talk more about, you know, at, at this particular time period, you know, did, were they trying to get something past a certain level of censorship because of how violent it might be? to get it more widely released. Cause I feel like this, this film, even though it's got some pretty, um, you know, kind of taboo subplots that it examines. It's kind of mainstream, at least for, a, in, for Jalo standards at this particular time period, it's kind of mainstream. It's like, especially when we get to the end and there's that whole kind of, you know, James Bond thing that they use to tie up the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if, you know, the director said, hey, look, you know, I I, I don't know because this is 68. So Blood and Black Lace is four years ago at this point. And Blood and Black Lace is way more um, brutal and violent in the way that it depicts its murder scenes than this movie is. Right. And the question is, was that done on purpose? Was that tamed down on purpose? You don't really know. Um, but that's what I that's the feeling I get when I watch these murder sequences like. You know we, we we're, we're trying to go a little bit more mainstream um, and in in an effort to go more mainstream we need to tone down the the level of brutality in some of these kill scenes and make them more you know well entertaining I wonder I if it was
1: toned down because they wanted to be more mainstream or if because within the plot these are underage people that are being killed right well, maybe not miss bathtub. But at least with Betty Ann. Right. You know? Yes. But, hell, Miss Bathtub, they could have made that, you know, they could have dragged that out for like 10 more seconds and had some splat. I mean, I don't even think her floor got wet when she got strangled. Right. You know?
0: Right. Yep. Until he was dragging it her was out. But it was a little squirmy when he was dragging her out, though. I was like, Yeah, this is kind of... Okay. This is a little odd. Yeah.
1: But... For me, Betty Ann could have resisted a little bit, or at least tried to scream, or yeah, tried to slap or punch or something instead of just
0: yeah. It just didn't seem realistic, and if that's you know if that's the end goal is to make you believe that this person was really scared and was really was really killed because you're trying to you know suspend you know, the, the you know, the image of, of actors, you know, that's then it, it didn't, it wasn't accomplished. Let's put it that way. And this isn't Um, the first
1: movie I've seen where the victim just stands there waiting to have their throat slit. (laughs) No,
0: definitely not. (laughs) So
1: I just kind of let it go.
0: So uh, after that, we go to the bug house uh, for the first Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and Dr. Andre's there first. Lucille's there talking with him. He leaves, and then we have this little weird scene where Richard's hand comes out from the curtain. And it's almost like, I think, I don't think a single person ever who watched this film thought it was something to be scared about. No. (laughs) Um, But they made it out that way anyway, at least for the sake of this particular scene. And it's Richard and this, this... this whole scene, I throw it away because I'm not really interested in Richard and Lucille as far as a, as a couple, partly because of the age difference, but partly because I, I want to get back to who's getting murdered. Like, I don't really care about this. Okay. Um, but I think that they needed to, you know, set up the characters. They needed to establish the relationships. They needed to create suspicion amongst the characters and they needed to fill a little bit of time. Um, and so that's what this scene is all about. Um,
1: I thought it was interesting that, you know, he had just come back from Paris where he won some kind of writing trophy or something. And she asked him if he had been faithful with her or, you know, she mentions all those adoring French women, you know, implying, you know, basically asking him, did you cheat on me while you were gone? And <laughs> instead of denying it, he kind of just brushes it off, you know. Like, oh, yes. But then, like two seconds later, he asked her if she had been faithful to him while he was gone, right? And she's at an all-girls boarding school,
0: you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's kind of like, okay, this guy's a total letch, or cat or you know whatever the the word. Of the yeah, time yeah. Well, was. so
0: are we are we are we supposed to assume he's implying that she was getting it on with the girls, or is as you know, is this supposed to be like, hey, she's you know leaving the school grounds and looking for some. Some other kind of, you know, male companionship. I don't. I think it kind of
1: just points to the, you know, a kind of stereotypical male mentality of the time that you know, don't worry what I'm doing while I'm gone. Oh, well, that's true. You know,
0: no, that's absolutely true. Like he, you know, his his concerns of her being faithful are actually warranted in this misogynistic era, where you know, you know, men dominate everything. But if you bring it up, then as a woman. Right. Like how dare you ask
1: me that, you know? Yeah. And as <laughs> exactly. punishment for asking me that, I'm going to ask you the same thing no matter how stupid it right. sounds. And um and then they agree to meet at 10 p.m., right? Mm-hmm. He tells her Richard will be there. <laughs> okay, subtle much. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like why are you meeting now in the bug house, you know?
0: To talk about having another To meeting. talk about
1: meeting. At, okay. What is this? Like the, the
0: pre-meeting? You know? Yes. You need an appointment I've been to in, make an appointment? I've been in meetings like that for work where we all get together and go, okay, when's our next meeting? Um, <laughs> but. Okay. Yes. Well. I actually noticed I noticed that as well. And what's funny is when they meet at 10 o'clock, uh-huh. they make another meeting <laughs> I meet at three, right. 3 in the morning.
1: <laughs> well, that's <laughs> when she bumps into Betty Ann and freaks out. You know, so you know right. Richard, you should have just taken advantage of, you know, I mean come on, Richard. You're yeah. there with her now. <laughs> Don't be a Richard Professor Andre's already left. You know. <laughs> Bring out the lionheart now. You know. Yeah, you got her on the floor for God's Dude, sake. Come right. uh... <laughs> I on. Even when I was thirty five I wouldn't have been like, Well, let's do this again at ten and uh, you know, well, I mean,
0: I don't know. Maybe the idea here is that you it, it when when they're this young, you kinda have to ease them into oh, it. You I have don't to know. Spring like them along. <laughs> Yeah. I don't I guess that's you know, I don't know. Or maybe it's supposed to be look, let let's have a let's have a positive attitude towards this instead of a negative one. Maybe the idea is that he likes her and he wants to spend time with her. He needs but he's time not, to
1: go buy chocolate and flowers and yeah, he's one. not
0: just going to boner and be done. He's he's really into her. He's like, a classy like, this guy. It's a love story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to bang that
1: 17-year-old in style, you know.
0: It's the rest of us who are have the, you know, who are jaded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after that scene, I have a bunch of bullet points again because there's a bunch of scenes that are really kind of inconsequential mm-hmm. compared to the the next one that happens. Um, Jill is wearing a skin suit. Um, I noticed that all the girls are wearing this kind of green stewardess costume, you know, uniform or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like, and maybe this came through in the subtitles and not the, lang- the the, Italian, but it seems like everybody knows that Lucille and Richard are a thing and it's a secret. Um, yeah, I think it's they just keep making secret. jokes. Yeah. Yeah, they're all making jokes about it or, you know, kind of, you know, making digs on her, you know, saying these little, you know, s- side word compliments or whatever. Right. Um, now, I also remember there's a scene where somebody takes one of the trunks out of the cellar and it looks like it's the killer.
1: Um, OK, but be- before we get to that, you mentioned Jill is in a scuba suit okay right debrazi had just spoken to miss transfield about having or offering scuba lessons okay so it's not like a thing yet yes jill makes a comment i don't know if it made the subtitles but she makes a comment that her father has already sent her the diving mask and scuba suit Mm -hmm. like what 20 minutes after they discuss it (laughs) she's already gotten it
0: yeah, I guess word travels fast. I, my assumption was that Miss um, Transfield had told all the girls that they, or or maybe the gym teacher himself, told all the girls, "Hey, I'm talking to Miss Transfield about the fact that we're going to do some skin diving lessons." Okay,
1: so in and, anticipation. She had already called her dad and had
0: I guess because didn't she mention that hey, this is for dr. Brozzi's class or something like that's what I saw in the subtitle yeah
1: and there was a, a little joke that got cut off well, not a joke, but a kind of funny line. Um, in the subtitle she says uh, Mr. DeBrazzi is a very dedicated teacher, miss Transfield, you know because she's imitating uh, the teachers and cut from the subtitles, is the ending of that where she says, "With clothes on, I would risk drowning." <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it's implying that at the time that the teacher catches her with this, you know, in the pool or with the, the diving mask, she's not wearing any clothes. But it also kind of foreshadows something that happens later.
0: Yeah, she has clothes with, on and
1: um, Yeah, yep. The scene with Denise. So I don't see why they would leave that out. You know, anybody doing subtitles for that would realize, oh, this ties in later. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, You know, so that you know, should have been. That.
0: I think we care about it way more than anybody else does. maybe like we <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Okay. Anyway, um, so all of a sudden now there's a discussion about the fact that Betty Ann is missing.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and... Mrs. Tran- Transfield and Jill decide to go look in the cellar. And Jill has already made a whole bunch of comments about how Betty Ann's dead. Uh, she's been mutilated. She's in the trunk. She's she's basically calling the entire movie ahead of time. She called it from the beginning
1: um, when the van shows yeah, she up. Did. She's like, what's in the trunk? A dead body? <laughs> <laughs> movie over.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um and so, you know, there's this scene, and I would assume that you're supposed to start to develop a little bit of suspicion about Mrs. Trans or Miss Tran- Transfield. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I keep saying Miss Trans because that's how I've abbreviated her name on my notes. <laughs>
2: um,
0: okay. Uh, Tra- I guess you're supposed to start to develop some sort of suspicion about Mrs. Transfield um cuz she just acts a little bit she lacks weird okay um but she also acts like the typical headmistress of a school who doesn't want to reveal anything because you know she has a some sort of reputation to uphold or whatever well
1: there's the shot um, when um she and miss martin leave miss transfield's office miss martin is sitting at the desk and somebody else is coming in the room but Miss yep. Martin hides something like there's like a some yes. document that she slips under the blotter like she's hiding it. Yes. And that never. Comes what is up that? In, yeah, exactly. What is that?
0: Yeah. Except a, hey, possible red herring indication. You know, the only the only thing that I thought of was later in the movie when there's this thing about the suicide note. I was like, I wonder if that's supposed to tie in with what. Miss um, Martin was hiding under the blotter, but I mean it's so disconnected, the suicide so
1: from Miss Clay the, supposedly
0: from Miss from Miss Clay. You're right, exactly. At the end, but
1: why would they have that already?
0: I don't know. Like that's the first thing that popped up in my head was like, hmm. I and you know, just to take a step out of this for a second, when I was thinking about us talking about the film, I was like, I wonder. If it would be better for the conversation, if we just identify who the murderer is up front, because the only time that I didn't know who it was was the first time I watched it and I've watched it four times Uh and the last three times that I watch it, I watch it knowing who the killer is and kind of with that perspective of look every time she's on screen. He she is on screen. Right. I'm remembering, or I'm I'm calling up into my thought process. Hey, what's the motivation behind this person? Because I know who it is. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, like I I don't you know when it comes to this podcast and even the the website that I run too because it it's important to the score and it's important to the discussion that we're having here that you've already watched this film if you're listening to this if you're listening to this podcast or reading the article that i have on the jalo score website Mm -hmm. like you need to already know who the killer is and when we do these podcasts it's like we pretend that the people listening don't know yet and then we go okay now we're going to tell you right but meanwhile all the shit that we talk about throughout the podcast you need to know who the killer is and that informs the next thought or the next discussion point, which is, is it more fun to watch these films after the second time and you know who it is? And obviously the, the original movie going audience doesn't have that advantage, but we do right? as people who are watching these films 50 years later. So do you find the film to be more entertaining after you can watch it knowing who the killer is or not necessarily?
1: Well, yeah. I think the second time was a little more fun just because I was thinking it's so obvious. It, was, it should have been obvious the first time, you know? Like as soon as that person starts speaking in the van and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that sounds like a man, you know? <laughs> Or every time right. she's walking, she has her arms down to her side and her, her body's yeah. always stiff and it looks like she's wearing a wig. And, yeah. oh, whatever. Who's the killer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And later when you find out, you're like, ah, oh, no kidding. How did Shit. I say But watching it the second time, I noticed other things that, you know, besides the voice and the wig and the way she walks – if anybody's watching this over the first time and they're paying attention from the beginning, they should know who it is before they even reach the midpoint of the movie. Right. You know? And you could say that for a lot of films, but, you know. Yes. They're just kind of counting on people just la, 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 you know, sitting through it and then being shocked at the ending. Um, right. But.
0: Well, and and again, that's what, I mean, Matt and I have discussed this at ad, ad nauseum, the idea that You know, we are scrutinizing these films to the, you know, to the nth degree, whereas the audience it was intended for is an audience that isn't paying more than 50 percent attention. And, you know, here's this major scene that happens where everybody wants to watch it because it's got some tension and some suspense and some violence. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of scenes where, okay, we're all going to sit around and kind of pay attention, but kind of not. And then something else happens that we all we're all darted to the screen again. And we were talking earlier in this discussion about Argento's need to bring back a scene that happened at the beginning and reevaluate it. And maybe that's the reason it's like, hey, I know my audience. There's going to be this scene and I'm going to have to keep bringing it back again over and over because they're not really paying attention. But if they pay half attention, I have enough information. Visual information here in this movie to remind them what they what they were you know what they should be paying close attention to. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, uh, it's. Yeah, I
1: I noticed in this section, uh, Jill's outfit has changed. She's not wearing the uniform that everybody else is wearing. Now she's wearing that orange uh, kind of dress thing with a white necktie yes okay i thought that was kind of interesting considering the ending right now she's wearing a necktie which is pretty male uh later on in the film we see that the other girls are wearing that same outfit but it's like she kind of Uh jumped ahead in the uniform schedule and i guess that means that's meant to mark her as somebody who's taking on a different role because here she kind of becomes the amateur detective
0: right right no that's awesome but here's the question are we noticing that as a coincidence or are we noticing that and the filmmakers and the people who developed the costumes and who wrote the script also planned for that to happen?
1: Well, it's hard to think that it was an accident that one of these school uniforms has a necktie, you know? Yeah. Um, And I, maybe the fact that they're putting it on one character before they put it on all the characters, maybe that was intended to draw our attention, you know? Yeah. Because I noticed immediately, I'm like, well, why is she not wearing the green outfit that all these other girls are wearing? Because they established time after time up to now, these girls all dress the same.
0: Yeah, and she's definitely taking on a role where not only is she being inquisitive and going out of her way to try and figure out a little bit more about what's going on, but she's also kind of informing the rest of the girls as to, you know what's happening and in the beginning of the film it's more about hey i'm going to give you some information so that you don't get in trouble because there's this thing going on with richard and so on and so forth right. but towards the end of the movie it's about hey i'm giving you this information so that you either stay safe or you don't get in trouble with the police
2: uh-huh.
0: um, but yes she you know she has you know and we, and we can discuss the fact that all the other girls are wearing the same outfit uh, for one reason being that, Hey, they all go to the same college and maybe that's the uniform. But the more important reason is that every time somebody gets killed or is attempted to be killed, and my my, my grammar is terrible there. It is, is um, anytime, um, somebody is killed or is threatened with violence and doesn't actually die. It's because the killer keeps thinking it's the same person over and over again. And the reason why is because they all wear the same thing. Right. And that's like part of the plot of the film that you, you know, eventually have an aha moment. Like, Oh, that's why they're all wearing the same thing because you know, when the inspector finally comes on scene and uh, I'm jumping ahead, but the, you know, when the police are finally called into these investigations in a typical Jalo film, they're completely stupid. They don't know anything. And it's up to the amateur detective to figure everything out. But this guy, the guy who comes in this inspector, he kind of has it all figured out. He just he doesn't understand why Betty Ann. Was murdered yet, uh-huh. Um But all the rest of the murders are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the murderer thought it was this person. But, you know, they're all wearing the same outfit. So because, you know, in the pool scene later in the movie where, you know, he attacks a different girl because she was supposed to be there to meet Richard. And um, he's wearing a mask on his head. So he can't really see that well. So he just thinks that this girl who has this. Which which girl did he send out? This this girl who has this jet black hair Denise. is the same girl who has the auburn hair. Um, and, you know, it's like yeah, it's, it really it's like needs-
1: the 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 diving mask <laughs> doesn't let him notice the difference between
0: a redhead and a
1: brunette. <laughs>
0: right. You know, and knowing that the you know the the inspector says you know knowing the police were there he had to get in and get out quickly you know that. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I don't I mean, think I that love that whole thing had a clue. I think he was just like, well, you know, at least I'm not sitting around playing poker at the office with everybody <laughs> else, you know?
0: Well, you know, <laughs> it's a good point. Like we're, 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 we're jumping around a bit, but when the, when the police are called into this thing, they have this very nonchalant attitude about the whole thing. Like, eh, it's just another murder in the girls school. No big deal. You know, like, When they go out and they finally find uh, well, at first it's not a murder.
1: They're called there because it's a missing person thing, right?
0: No, no, they're called because they find after the shower thing. Yeah, Yeah. they're they're called because Cynthia's was found in the shower. So, all right, let let let, I I should probably not jump ahead that much, but um, so uh, what do I have in here? Okay, so Betty Ann's missing. They look in the cellar miss clay is starting to kind of go around and be the hall monitor for a while and (laughs) lucille is um is making an attempt to try and sneak out again and then we have this awesome scene it's one of my favorite scenes in the film okay wait wait, Um, let me jump in right here okay Um,
1: miss clay catches jill in the hallway right and right. she tells her, like, what are you doing I here? You need to get back to your room, stay in your room, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then Jill sticks her tongue out at her when she turns around. <laughs> and there's that little piano sting. <laughs> <right>? Yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know, kind of took me out of it. Because that's something you'd see, like, I don't know, in a uh, Pink Panther movie or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. A, yep,
0: there's a, f- there's a few of those yeah, in this movie. So in
1: this universe, when you stick your tongue out, there's a piano sting. And that made me think. Uh, when Miss Transfield and Miss Martin get together, it must sound like a felonious monk concert. <laughs> <laughs> but importantly, for the uh, for the plot, Jill goes in and she tells Cynthia and the other brunette girl. Uh, she kind of drops it as a casual line that she was eavesdropping at the door. Okay, and I think that's. I'm a, sorry.
0: I'm still laughing about oh. the last comment.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, You know, when you think about it. <laughs> that would have been more interesting. Than
0: but you have to really know, you know, that Thelonious Monk. I, I never mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Well, all you
1: have to know is that he plays piano. And you know, right. you don't have to. You know, it's funnier if you understand his uh, kind of disjointed his, style. His style. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Exactly. Like he would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two tongues. Right. T- yeah. You know, Fumbling. T- <laughs> yeah. And he would like purposely fumble on the on the keyboard. He'd hit like two keys at the same time when he meant to hit one. Exactly. I, yeah. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. Somebody me.
1: bumps her head on the uh, headboard. It's <laughs> jazz, baby. Yeah. Um, so Jill was telling Cynthia and the other chick that she was eavesdropping at the door. And I think a lot of this film well something that keeps coming up is um spying, whether it's eavesdropping or peeping. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the eavesdropping comes up time and time again throughout the rest of this. And we're well, in a bit we're gonna see the, the peeping part. Yes. But I like how the script kind of plants these seeds. You know, because the first time I was yeah. watching it, I didn't pay attention. She's like, yeah, yeah, she was eavesdropping, dropping, whatever. But then the second time through, I noticed different things that kind of connect to that element of the script
0: that give me mm-hmm. a, a better appreciation for it. You know? Sure. Okay. So. Yeah, no, I, I think that. Uh... I I think that may be why I like this film so much because it seems like they did. They didn't just slap together, a, you know, a whodunit or a mystery or something like that. It seems like they, they really paid more attention to. Again, you know, continuity
1: in themes being and what subtext it, and.
0: Being being what it is and the fact that, you know, that everything has a certain amount of limitation. But right. it just seems like they it seems like they put some care into this. And and that really goes back to the fact that Bava and a couple of other people wrote the script. I don't know it, if it, according to what I read, the the film like Tim Lucas, I guess, has a copy or obtained a copy of the script for this film. And if you compare the script to the finished film, it's almost a hundred percent accurate. So if Bava wrote the script entirely and, and Margariti was just the director, um, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about Margariti. I'm sure he's a very uh, accomplished uh, uh, film director, but if we're talking about the fact that, this film wasn't just a slap together afterthought kind of giallo but really well thought about mystery and then you attribute it to Bava having a lot of influence over the script itself then that kind of makes sense to me so um, because believe me I watched a bunch of films in this proto period and they're not all like this some of them are really dumb um, and and that's okay. Like you can watch them and knowing that they're dumb, you just get entertained by the things that, are, that they're good at doing. Right. Um, but this one, it, you know, this one, this is why I continue to come back to this one and why I picked it for a discussion, because I think that it's, it's got a lot of rewatchability, and it, it's uh, ahead of its time to a certain extent, as far as the Jalo genre is concerned. But
1: yeah. And I think the test for, who wrote the script was it bava or margariti would be to look at the rest of their bodies of work you know (laughs) right true enough if margariti wrote this has he written anything on this level after or before right you know and i think easily bava has you know
0: yes so well um that's an interesting question, and it makes me want to look up Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye, which is another Margariti film. And, yeah, if I look at this, is a 1973 gothic Jalo, written by Margariti. Uh, he's given credit for the story and the screenplay as well as the director. I have to go back to that and watch it again and see if it's as as engaging as this, this film, the one we're talking about right. now. Because that would kind of help me understand, you know, where the real influence was. But in most accounts or all accounts, actually, that I've read, it's that the screenplay was written by Bava and he was uncredited. So um, anyway. Um, so back to the film, Lucille is trying to sneak out again. Um, and I think there's some scenes, correct me if I'm wrong, where. There, this whole middle section of the film, it's not that it slowed down, but it kind of did, did, depending on you know the way that you look at it. There's a lot of walking around and looking and observing that happens in the second or the middle part of the film, um, now that we've established everything. And it starts with this outdoor search party scene where Miss Clay is out there. Um Miss Transfield is out there. Miss Martin is out there. The gym guy is out there. Um, and La Florette is out there. and they're all walking around in their own independent spaces and the camera is going crazy and they're playing that Batman theme song again, mm-hmm. but in like a slower down version. And um, they do a little bit of misdirection where, okay, they show the somebody dragging Betty Ann's body away or off or into the woods or wherever they're going. And then immediately later they show the killer walking around looking and, you know, to try and see if we can find Betty Ann. And it's like, you're watching this after the first time you watch it, you're watching it going, Hey, this person is pretending to look, you know, they're pretending to be in a part of a search party. You know, well, this part
1: is one of the parts where I think the the film kind of shoots itself in the foot as far as red herrings because in the scene previous when they were all in the office deciding what to do and miss right. transfield told miss clay make sure all the girls stay in their room miss clay leaves and then de Brazzi says well let's go look around the park maybe she fell and bumped her head or something right miss clay right. was not supposed to be part of the search party she was supposed to 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 stay in the right so when we see her walking around in the woods it's like you're not supposed to be there and then oh, who's dragging the body hello (laughs) 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 so it kind of gives itself away and again you know the first time i watched this it didn't enter my mind at all i was like well she locked all the girls in their room like dungeon yes. keeper and then she went outside but then <laughs> when i was watching it the second time i was like wait a minute did he he she's not supposed to be there, to
0: be there. right right so
1: yeah.
0: i think you're right and i think that uh that uh, i i think i'm on the same page where i didn't notice it the first time but i did it did kind of jump out at me mm-hmm. like yeah, someone was appointed to stay and, and, and keep things, you know, keep things under control while the rest of them went out to, to, to look for the body. But wait, she's out here anyway. Right, so, and it just happened? happens
1: to be one of the people in the van with the corpse trunk on the roof. <laughs>
0: <You> know, <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> it narrows right. it
1: down to two people, you know, either it's <laughs> or Miss Clay, and one of them's not supposed to be there, so... You
0: know. Yes. Well, I think that we still are c- can consider Miss um, Transfield as a suspect and Miss Martin as a suspect for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to the idea of the JALO score and the criteria of there being at least three subs- suspects, mm-hmm. um, there is a timeline element that goes into that criteria that. Um, is the gray area for coming up with that score because I, I get to the end of the movie when I do the Jalo score mm-hmm. and I go down the list and I try to fill out some of the ones that, you know, may not have gotten a score within the first 10 minutes, but by the time you get to the end, yes, you know, that, that particular criteria thing happened. And with suspects, it's like, it, it's kind of a moving target because In the very beginning of the film, everybody just driving up in the van is a suspect. Right. There's six suspects
1: right there in the van.
0: Right. And then by the time we get halfway through a bunch of them have been eliminated. So I, I didn't really get that far into it for the JALA score. I just kind of figured like, as long as the film at some point establishes that there's more than that there's three or more suspects, let's give them some points for that. Um, because i think in general i th- the 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 general idea is that hey if we only think that there's one person that may do this then it's really not that much of a mystery um and it's some you know if you watch like you know some of these films that aren't considered jolly and maybe there's a little bit like i don't know if you remember but um matt and i within the last, I think maybe year did um, the podcast on this film called Wicked Wicked, which was a United States, you know, it was like a a Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. And it's got all of these Jalo elements. There's a mystery and you're not exactly sure who the killer is, but they kind of tell you almost 90% of the way that this is the killer. But you're not it's not really revealed that he's the killer, like right on screen killing somebody until halfway through. Um, So that's kind of that doesn't, to me, feel like a Jalo. It's more like the whole 10 little Indians thing where, you know, we're establishing all these people and um, somebody gets killed. And now it's like, okay, we all have to stay together in the same room because. Uh, One of us is the killer, and if anyone is left alone, you know we're going to know by process of elimination, you know who it is. And of course, they don't Um, stay together, and they never do, right? Of course, (laughs) they must (laughs) separate. (laughs) But um, that seems more jolly to me. So I guess that's where that criteria thing comes from. Anyway, I'm I'm diverging. Um, So. Uh, The only other scene that I have a note for is that um, Jill is reading the Avengers for some reason, Uh um, which I guess just reinforces at that particular time period, the whole male thing. Um, Because now in 2022, we've all come to the point where we know that girls like comics just as much as boys do. Right. But in 1968, I don't know that that was really. I have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. No, no. She's got this, uh, light bulb hat that she puts on. <laughs> yeah. and I think it's just to reinforce the whole spy gizmo deal right? with Jill, you know, she's got the walkie talkies. She's got the, the, the flashlight that, she, you know, the, the, light bulb that goes under the, you know, around the headband uh-huh. about the spy thing in 1966,
1: Antonio Margheriti is, credited for six films that came out that year. Wow. Including this one. But two of the other ones are Eurospy films. Okay. So I wonder if he brought in that element, you know, maybe if he didn't write the entire script himself, if maybe he brought in the walkie talkie thing, you know. Not so much the, the light bulb hat.
0: Yeah. But um <laughs> at least the walkie talkie part of it. Well, I mean, look, I mean, let's be realistic if not only are you dealing with a film that's going to be released internationally, but you're dealing with a film where it's totally acceptable for the director to come up with some new narrative ideas when they're filming. Right. So this might not have been in the script at all, but Margariti threw it in, you know, and like you said, coming from doing four or five films where he was involved and they were spy related you know maybe he brought that into the film so it's
1: well now that i think about it if he released if he's credited as having directed six films that came out in uh, 1968 how the hell did he have time to write a script
0: how the hell did he have time to direct six films in one year i mean i I don't know that's that seems like a lot just in and of itself but
1: well maybe it was just a I don't know, maybe it was something like he finished shooting, but then it took so long to edit and they just happened to be released the same year, you know, but yeah, that could be Somebody's that busy. I don't know if they'd be writing scripts.
0: It's like how, it's like how, um, what was it? Let it be came out after Abbey road, but really they were recorded in the other order or something like that. Yeah.
1: Um, um, there's a scene where Lucille was talking to Denise in her room and they have the record player going, and they have the music turned up kind of loud. Yes. I think that calls back to the eavesdropping at the door. Okay. I think they have that record player close to the door, and they have the music turned up to prevent a p- potential eavesdropper from hearing what they're talking about. Mm. Yeah. And girls that live in you know that kind of situation where everybody's in a dorm And, you know, they're all across the hall from each other. I think that they know that somebody might be listening at the door, so they have the music to kind of mask their voices. And that comes up again later, but it also calls back to Jill making that offhanded comment about being an eavesdropper. Right. And then in the hallway, Jill's talking to Denise, and she says that Miss Clay reminds her of a werewolf, and she makes that weird face with the tongue. Okay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And as far as subtext goes, and you know the, uh, the the subtext within the script, a werewolf is another type of changeling. Right? Yeah. So I think you know she didn't say she reminds her of a vampire or she reminds her of a I don't know a creature from the Black Lagoon. She says right, a werewolf, and right, right. a werewolf is a creature of transformation, which yep. I think ties in on some level. I don't think it was an accident.
0: That's. No, that's interesting. I never would have. I never would have gone that deep. Okay. Um. That's that's. But I do remember her describing, um, her as a werewolf. Mm-hmm. So that was like, yeah, that's
1: interesting. In the first time I watched it, I was just like, okay, fur away line, whatever, you
0: know. Yeah. But the second yeah, right.
1: time, it it kind of sticks out. It it hits a little different when you know the ending, you know.
0: It's so hard to know, like, what lines are throwaway and which aren't. And then because you've got multiple people speaking multiple languages when they film it, like, it's, you know, anyway. Right. Um, it's mind boggling. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so uh, Lucille sneaks out again. Um, she goes to the bug house. But this time she finds Betty Ann's body and she runs away. And falls down. Um <laughs> And fall, of course, as you do when you're running away, uh, she runs into Richard. She tells Richard that she saw Betty Ann's body. Richard goes back. Uh, but the body's not there, of course. And then Miss Clay shows up at the bug house because she's, she heard somebody scream. Mm -hmm. Um, but before she comes in to talk to Richard, uh, Lucille sneaks out and, um, Richard says, you know, it's probably this toucan over here that did that scream. It sounds just like a girl. And
1: luckily when he pulls the cloth off of the cage, the toucan immediately starts screaming. <laughs> <laughs> right, what if exactly. it was like one of those um you know that, that frog in the old uh Looney Tunes cartoons? The one when nobody's <laughs> looking at sings and then Right. What if he pulled the the blanket off and the tech ta- the toucan just looks at him like, What? <laughs> yeah, it was the <laughs> You expect me to scream or something.
0: <laughs> I, I that cartoon was so frustrating to me because I always felt bad for the people who were trying to get the frog to sing right. and he never would. I never. That's why I never liked watching that particular one. It's like this, this asshole frog is just screwing everything up. You know? right. Anyway, and as
1: soon as a person turns around, they go into this like
0: yeah, Broadway this Broadway musical. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Um, so Lucille, she splits, um, Mm -hmm. but she takes her time getting back to her room. She goes to the gym. She's walking upstairs. This is kind of like, you know, an opportunity for them to stretch out the midsection of the film, do some exterior shots, um, you know, kind of feature this actress a little bit more. Um, but eventually she gets to the shower, and this is where things get crazy. Here we go. So she goes into the shower, she's been out all night. she's not supposed to have left, but now she's in the shower and she wants to take a shower. She takes off her clothes, and for the second time, first time, second time in the film, we see somewhat of female flesh, and you're like, okay, this this this, this song. This film is called "Naked You Die. Here's some nakedness." All right. Sort of, yeah. Um, kinda. Um, but you're, at this point, at least for me, I'm just kind of weirded out because all these girls are young. Um, but anyway, she gets into the shower and then uh, La Florette, La Flore is uh, climbing the branches okay. to, to spy on the girls. Before
1: that, though, so, Miss Martin comes in and she sees her and, you know, taking her clothes off and she says, what are you doing? Oh, I couldn't sleep. I'm going to take a shower. And then there's a close up of Miss Martin as she takes a long, horny look at Lucille. Okay. Right. And as she's kind of, you know, giving her the once over, the it pans down to Lucille's feet and you see that she's wearing shoes. Right. Okay. These aren't house slippers, these aren't I'm going to take a shower, flip flops, or whatever. So Exactly. Are we supposed to assume that Miss Martin realized that she was lying and that she was just sneaking back from somewhere outside because she's wearing shoes and maybe she doesn't care,
0: you know? That's what I got from Because it. I was I expecting that it.
1: to come up. Like, oh, shit, she noticed the shoes. So now she's going to be like, oh, yeah, you take a shower with your shoes on, you know?
0: Yeah. Like, I, I, I that's what I got from it. Like, later on in the movie, we're going to or, or maybe not even later on the movie, but I think that. We were supposed to be aware of the fact that Miss Martin is suspicious of the fact that Lucille was lying. Right. She didn't really come to take a shower. She's got her shoes on from being. But outside. she didn't
1: call her on it or anything. She just no, kind of okay, whatever. I'm going to go get mine.
0: <laughs> but right. But here's the thing, though. Lucille, after Miss Martin leaves, decides to finally go take a shower. Then she sees the. The tree libs shaking. I don't know if she mm-hmm. actually sees La Flore or not, but eventually she realizes or ultimately she realizes that I need to get the fuck out of here when he's he watching me. <laughs> yeah. But she leaves the shower water running and she just goes and gets in bed. Right. And then the next scene is Cynthia, who we don't even know who the hell Cynthia is. Like she just. She's just another one of the six girls right. who's kind of inconsequential up until this point and goes to take a shower. And Well, no, she hears the water running, and it's like she's like, what's
1: that? I need to go check, right? So she goes in yeah. the shower room. She sees the shower running, and then she says, oh, you know, I was just going to come in here and turn it off so I can go back to sleep, but I think I'll take a shower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Oh, there's a good idea. Somebody shower. went to the trouble of turning the knob. I might as well. You know. Right. In Laferay, <laughs> who's out in the tree,
1: right? He's like, oh, damn, I just scared the girl off. Oh, now I've pulled myself back on both. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Here's another <laughs> Here's one. another yeah. one. It's my lucky day. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then some. while Cynthia's taking the shower, somebody comes <laughs> in. And I could just imagine Laferay like, oh, this is even better. This is even better. Right? Because there's going to be yeah, two right. girls taking a shower the lonies monk time all over again you can't (laughs) believe his luck and then oh no oh shit uh, uh, you know murder
0: (laughs) 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 poor guy yeah right Uh, yeah you got to feel bad for him because you know uh, all of his um, attempts at um, satisfying whatever needs he needed to satisfy were just (laughs) every step of the way (laughs) But um, I, I read an article, not an article. I read a, a blog post or something about this film where the one guy says that Cynthia was not strangled. She was killed by a Vulcan death grip because it's like
1: basically they all the all think about
0: the it. killer comes in from behind and does like a Spock thing. Um, it's like, I'm going to kill you by massaging your neck muscles to death. <laughs> I will relax you into the grave. <laughs> Very quickly, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, okay. So Cynthia is killed. And um, the next thing we know, I think there's a scream. Is that what it was that wakes people up? Or, or somebody came over to uh, Jill, uh, not Joe? No, because uh, right, I think right after
1: that, the killer realizes that Cynthia is not Lucille. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. And because it's somebody who knows that Lucille has seen the dead body of Betty Ann, now we have to kill Lucille. So, thinking Lucille was in the shower, the killer goes in the shower to kill Lucille, but oops, Lucille slipped out when Farray fell down in the tree. Right. And now it's Cynthia. After killing Cynthia, realizes this isn't Lucille, I need to go kill Lucille. So, we see Lucille laying in her bed and the creaky ass door opens and lucille (laughs) wakes up i mean a little shot of wd-40 this would have been a totally different film (laughs) right um so when the killer tries to come into her room to kill lucille she screams and that's when everybody else on the floor comes running to their door and right okay and and at that time we notice miss transfield comes out of the room and in the background, you know, for like the Baba 3D <laughs> you know, foreground, yes. mid ground, background, uh, we see Miss Martin jumping up in bed, pulling the cover up over her uh, supposedly naked chest. So, in Ooh. case you haven't figured that out yet, <laughs> yeah, that kind of nails it in.
0: I got to go back to that scene. I don't even remember that part. It must have been only on screen for like two times. Oh, it's or, just a split right?
1: second. Let me see. Um, I'll tell you where the time thing is. Um. My processor is maxed out oh, right now. Oh
0: no, that's okay. I'm I'm at the. Okay, here we go. I found it. Yeah, Joel says, help, there's, oh, oh my God, I never saw that before.
1: You see Miss Martin in the Holy bed in the background?
0: Holy shit, that's so funny.
1: Jumping up and covering her chest?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. That's awesome, dude. Wow, okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> they really, they really threw a bunch of, like, what do, you, what, what do you want to call these, like, Easter eggs? Not even Easter eggs, but they're just...
1: It's, like, it's almost <laughs> subliminal, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not even half a second. Um, I'm going to try to find it again. Hold on.
1: Now I can't get my media player to hoop in again.
0: I mean, I know that... Oh, okay, there it is. So, we, we've already... They've already established the fact that Miss Transfield and Miss Martin have adjacent rooms. Right. So it's possible we're looking into this a little bit more than we need to, but I don't think so. <laughs> I see <laughs> I see a dark room. Here's Lucille, the door creaks open, it closes again, she screams. Jill comes out of her room and says, "Help, there's a killer." And now I'm going to pause it. Right. Okay. So Miss Transfield Opens the door, and in the background is Miss Martin, who's pulling up her whatever to cover herself. Right. And we don't know if it's like, okay, Miss Miss Transfield heard the scream, came out from her room, walked across Miss Martin's mm-hmm. room, and opened the door to come out. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> we don't We don't want that to be the case. But see, the only problem is Miss Transfield is buttoned all the way up to the neck. So, I mean, like... If there's anything going on in this room, it's clearly that Miss Transfield is, you know, doing most of the instigating.
1: Well, I think if Margariti wanted to underline it more, he would have had to put a lobster bib on Transfield. But (laughs) (laughs) I think it's pretty self-explanatory.
0: Oh, oh my God. (laughs) That's great. That may... I may need to subtitle this episode, <laughs> episode nine, the lobster bib. Right. That may be it. We finally found the subtitle for this. So
1: people can read what I'm saying while they listen to the, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: okay. So anyway, Jill goes in, she notices that the body, but they don't even believe her. So Miss Transfield walks in and she screams. And now we've got the police involved. Finally. finally. Um, yeah. Two characters introduced, um, what do I have them written down as, um, Inspector Durant and some guy named Gabon, Gabon. which you can help me out with this. Uh, Isn't a Gavon like a dumb, dumb guy in Italian or G-A-V-O-N instead of G-A-B-O-N? Okay. That is
1: is what I call the sopranosized Italian. Okay. (laughs)
0: And one thing you
1: got to understand about the Italian language is every little town and region has its own dialect. Sure. Okay? Gotcha. So a lot of what you see in The Sopranos is, is not exactly Italian. It's based on American the dialect Italian. of the region that those mobsters' parents came from. Okay, Right.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Uh,
1: and even then, it's it's been diluted by a generation or two. Okay. Right. So when they say "gavone," like G-A-V-O-N, sometimes E. Right. The Italian word that, that is coming from is "cafone," which is C-A-F. Okay. Uh, so the C becomes a G, the F becomes a V or a B. Right. Um, and what that means is kind of like, uh, just a, a redneck type, uncultured, ignorant type of person.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay.
1: Um, I'm assuming because it's Durand and Gabon, I think they're trying to point this more towards France. Okay. Because those aren't Italian names. And, you know, the easiest way to tell in general, and uh, I mean this very generally because there are exceptions, the names don't end with a vowel, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense.
1: Durand and Gabon would be... I think there's su- a, we're supposed to think they're French
0: names. They're French. Right. Yeah. So it's the difference between, I mean, like I grew up in a, in a, in an Italian American family. So it's a difference between pasta e fagioli mm-hmm. or pasta fazool, which is what my grandmother used to call it. She used to make pasta fazool, right? which is just kind of the dialect version of fagioli, pasta with beans, which is yeah. beans. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, you're right. Um, the 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 Italian the, the the New Jersey New York Italian American culture in Sopranos, is the Italian that I know of because I'm from New Jersey and I'm fifty percent Italian. So like I've got okay when I watch this so Sopranos. So where's your grandmother from? She's from let's see. I mean, is she her, from Italy? Or yeah, no, she's not. Her parents uh, were from Italy. My grandmother, well, my grandmother passed away a while ago, but she lived to be 101. But um, Wow.
1: Okay, so what part of Italy do you know?
0: Her, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think she said her father was from Calabria and her mother was from, she always used to say Napoli Don, which is Naples. Naples.
1: Okay, Calabria I, is, uh, you know how Italy shaped like a boot? Yeah. Calabria is the part that would be like the foot or the the toe part of the boot
0: okay Okay. that's pretty south far south
1: that's a yeah about as far south as you can go um my mother's side of the family and where I lived when I was well where I was born and where I lived during uh, the middle school years was in Puglia which is the heel of the boot okay so that's like right next door to Calabria down south okay um So, maybe not so much the exact dialects, but at least the general culture of the people down south is very similar. Okay. And I think in shows like The Sopranos and The Godfather, a lot of the Italian, quote unquote, that you hear in those shows and films is based on an Italian that is derived from the Napolitan dialect or sometimes the Siciliano dialect from Sicily. Okay.
0: But. Well, because Na- I'm looking at the map. I mean, I, I've never been to Italy, but Naples is is close enough, I mean, to be considered a southern um, area. I mean, compared to, like, say, you know, Venice is uh, way far north Very compared north, yeah. to, you know, Florence. Oh, there, there was a but movement
1: that, here in Italy for a long time. There was a, a political party called Lega Nord, which means the Northern League or the League of the North. Okay. their whole thing was basically cutting Italy off from like Rome South. Just cut them loose, let them be their own country. <laughs> <You> mm-hmm. <know? laughs> it's it's kind of like in America where the northern states are more industrialized, in the southern states yeah. are more oh, yeah. agricultural. Yeah,
0: we kind of have that here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but over
1: there it's the South that wants to be their own country, you know. <laughs> but um. So, you know, there is kind of a, I don't know, kind of a thing between Northern Italians and Southern Italians. And uh, if you've watched The Sopranos, there is a scene where, um, what's his name? The Italian guy that came over from Naples.
0: <laughs> oh, um, um, oh, you're killing me. Uh, I just watched it. The, no, uh, uh, the one that falls in love
1: with uh, Carmella. Yeah yep there's a scene i think it's during the columbus day episode. Furio. furio his name is furio yeah i knew mean, it was something started enough yeah. but yep during the the uh christopher columbus episode or whatever it was really, yes he mentions how he doesn't really care about christopher columbus and they're all like oh what do you mean oh. yes and he's like hey he was from the north the north always looked down their nose at us you know and i was like yes. damn right you know
0: <laughs> but I remember that scene and I remember that um, that that was an interesting comment that he made because like all of the people in, in America just assume that Italy is one big unified area. Yeah. And that every, like, you know, that that all of their, you know, um, <clears throat> trials and tribulations are all the same, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, because they go nuts about the fact that there's this the Native Americans are protesting Columbus Day and you know, uh-huh. all the mobsters go crazy. Yeah, that, that was an interesting one. Right. But, okay, good point. Um, so the police, we were talking about Gavones and Gabon and uh, and, La, and um, Durant. And so the police come. They don't seem very interested or concerned about the fact that there's a possible murder happening here or a murder. Um, the next scene I have is La Flore is killed.
1: Okay. And right before that. When the police arrive, okay, and they're in the office, like, what's going on? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Miss Clay is talking to Jill, and Jill uh, says something about Laferay having a peeping habit. Okay. Right. Yes. Miss Clay tells Jill, go tell the police about Laferay's peeping habit. Mm-hmm. Right. Why the hell would she do that? okay why would miss clay knowing what we find out soon enough right. why would she tell jill to go point the police to this one person that we know saw the killer and could identify that killer right
0: yeah it it kind of doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense i would just no. shut
1: up and be like oh hmm. Don't don't bother them about LaFerrari. You know I would go out of my well, way to not point the police towards the person that saw the killer.
0: Yeah, I guess the only thing you could say is that we make assumptions when we talk about the killer that the killer is a hundred percent in their right mind, okay, and calculated with all of their decisions, but. Then there's the argument like if you're going to decide that killing somebody is OK, you might be a little touched and maybe you're not thinking <laughs> clearly. So it's possible that, you know, in this particular scene, you know, not with without actually revealing the, the secret of the film that Miss um, Clay is like, yeah, oh, that wait, might wait, be wait. a good that, that might be a good direction to go in. Let's 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 cast suspicion on. I think uh, I might have just figured it out.
1: Just sitting here you know, talking about it out loud.
0: She sends,
1: she tells Jill to tell the police about Foray because she wants the police to go to Foray, okay? While right. Jill is running to tell the police and play, you know, amateur detective with a walkie-talkie. Right. Somebody, you know, to not spoil it in case nobody's figured it out yet. Somebody goes and kills Foray and burns his, well, he burns his porn stash, which I guess we'll get to in a minute. But (laughs) makes it seem like it was some kind of weird suicide by sickle, right? Yeah. Like he was so guilty, he sickle sided himself. Right. (laughs) So maybe she was telling Jill to send, basically, send the police to Foray. By the time they get there, I'll have him killed and set up maybe
0: yeah I, I that seems like a stretch um when you're kind of making decisions on the fly about how to keep yourself out of custody yeah you know and, and, and continue to, and to continue to you know follow the original objective of getting what you want right. here and if you're you know, going to kill like, Furry
1: anyway just let the cops find him and You know, don't rush it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I was just trying to make sense of it. It seems kind of. Yeah.
0: Well, this is one of those situations where Matt and I would have these discussions and he would go, dude, they added that just to fill the scene, you know, because they needed another scene. They didn't think about it in the in a general context of how, you know, how the film, you know, is supposed to work logically. But then I always think like, well, you know. If they made that much, if they did that much work to, to write the screenplay for everything else, then what? how is this a, th- you know, a scene that, you and know, I would Matt, Matt, go ahead. No, I was going to say Matt and I would always talk about the idea that, you know, in some of these films, we, you'd get halfway through and it seemed obvious that the director or the people involved in the film rewrote the ending or didn't even have an ending when they started filming, you know. Um and then that it that it just kind of evolved over the course of the, the the production of the film that they you know the story came to be what it is. But
1: yeah. Well for me they could have shown Cynthia taking ten more seconds of a shower than fitting in some plot hole.
0: <laughs> no, that's true. No, that's true. <laughs> that's a very good point. Um Okay, so like this part of the film is, got the police trying to kind of follow what's going on. Uh, La Flore is killed. Um, he's burning the evidence, as you mentioned. Um, let's see, what else do I have written here? Um, okay, so why
1: why do you think he was doing that? I mean, that's not really evidence. That was just his nineteen sixty eight spank bank, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, it's evidence that he was peeping on the girls. I guess. Well, were and those so photos he was trying of the girls? It?
1: Were those photos of students? You think?
0: I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, what, if what's they showed him in the tree
1: with the
0: camera, then maybe that would have made more sense. Yes, I guess that was just something he bought. You know, he's just under- destroying the evidence that he's a general pervert. Uh, that he has
1: I testosterone. Guess. Okay.
0: Yeah. Don't let him know that. <laughs>
1: Uh, okay well okay then the door opens
0: and
1: uh, you want to take it from here or
0: (laughs) oh uh, no the door opens and uh, you know he's got this look on his face like it's not the same as the look that Betty Ann has like Betty Ann is like um, you know got a, a, a subservient kind of look like right you know, oh, I'm getting in trouble. Right. Um, which Florey's makes sense. Look is, which makes sense if you know who the killer is. Right. But Florey's look is more like um, disbelief, you know. And fear. Um, yeah, certainly the fear. Which also makes um, sense
1: if you know who the killer is. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, but I guess the question is, you know, are. It's time to just to, to stop beating around the bush. The killer is as Miss Clay uh-huh. and Miss Clay. Is she always dressed as Miss Clay when she's going around killing people or because you know, we never see her or him? Right. Well, she's always um,
1: black. I guess. that helps. So
0: like I'm I'm looking at the scene now and like La Fleur is like, no, no, I don't know. I, I can't believe it. You know, uh-huh. and then he gets stabbed in the gut with a sickle. Okay. Which makes in the in the film in, in the version I watched, it sounds like the sickle hits the ground. Um, but then when they find his body, the sickle's sticking in his in his chest. So I don't okay. know like what that sound was supposed to be other than a sickle hitting the ground, but Okay,
1: so Miss Clay uh, is coming in the door. He knows it's the killer because he saw her strangle Cynthia, supposedly. Right. 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 She miss clay suspects that he knows it's her and that's why she went there to kill him because she heard jill say oh flurry is always looking in the windows when people are taking showers so but just to cover my butt i need to go kill him right but he dies just like betty ann in the basement oh somebody's coming and he just stands. and he's you know not to be a chauvinist or anything but he's a dude and there's sickles yeah. all over that, bil- that shit. <laughs> when the cop goes in later and finds his body, I counted like three sickles within easy reach of where he was killed. You know? And yeah. <sighs> all these weenies keep dying like weenies and it's, nobody's defending
0: <laughs> themselves. <or laughs> no, there's no self-defense thing going on here at all. It's just, right. you know. I'm in such shock that I thought you were a woman, but you're really a man, and now I can't move, and you're going to kill me because of it.
1: Well, I don't... Because unless she's changing clothes, like, every five minutes,
0: why would... I
1: think she would... I think when she went there to kill him, I think she was still Miss Clay,
0: you know? Right. As a woman. In the the Miss Clay getup. Right. In the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, why would she uh, risk, OK, you know, being caught wearing, you know, dressed like a man with, you know, without her wig with, you know, everybody, you know, with the police there and everybody on high alert.
0: Sure, because, I mean, eventually we, r- we realized that Miss Clay's alter ego had a plan the whole time to blame it on Miss Clay, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So um, if you're going to go around and kill people and then blame it on miss clay you might as well do it wearing miss clay's outfit or at least an outfit that most likely miss clay would what would be wearing right. so you know you're not going to change back into your man clothes and kill people but that just you know leads to the idea of what you're bringing up which is you know, La Fleuret is La Flore is there. He's got the sickle. He's got this giant string of garlic to get the vampires exactly. away for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, uh, garlic, you know. and here comes this woman dressed, or here comes this man dressed as a woman with a, you know, like a skirt on and this weird, like outfit that it's got to be hard to murder people in. <laughs> but well, he still just stands there and goes, I don't believe it. You're, you're going to kill me. You know?
1: Well, I, so. I'm not sure that he knew ever that it was a man. You know?
0: Yeah. If Miss Clay was well, a good there point. as
1: Miss Clay, he probably just yeah, that's a good point. Know, bit the sickle thinking he was killed by a female teacher, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it too. It's like I mean it would still be I, scary. How, how could it could be how could it be you? You know, it's you're a woman, you know. But he saw you know. her through the window when he was in the tree, right? Well, yeah, I mean I think that's the implication. I don't know that it's it's I would need to go back and look at the scene, but when he's in the tree, I don't know that they show an explicit edit that shows, you know, him seeing seeing what's going on. Because that would have spoiled
1: it for us too.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess for a second, yeah. Depending on how they, how they disguise the the person that was doing the killing, you know, maybe they were behind the curtain and you didn't actually see them, but that would mean that he wouldn't know who it was either. So, you know, Okay. whatever that, that that's uh that that's a tough one but it doesn't it's implied that he may have seen something that he shouldn't have seen and just based on that he needs, he to, needs to be killed yeah. yeah he needs to go so um okay so um what do i have here uh, the investigation begins um miss transfield mentions that lucille mm-hmm. Is set to inherit money when she turns 18. There's a cousin who is in control of the trust until then, but they don't know very much about him. And it's a cousin Meanwhile, that
1: she has never met.
0: That she has never met, right. Right. And, right, because otherwise... <laughs> she'd say, um, hey. <laughs> she'd be like, hey, what's up, cousin? Why are you dressed yeah. like a woman at my <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, So then uh, Jill hides one of the walkie talkies under the pillow, which is going to be important later. And uh, let's say the inspector figures that the killer is trying to kill Lucille, but mistook her for Cynthia in the shower. Right. Um, They find La Lucille decides that she's going to sneak out again. But the inspector says, hey, um, I need to speak with you. So Lucille tells Denise, hey, Go meet Richard. Make sure that you meet him because if I'm not there by the pool during the time that we have, you know, decided on, he's going to think that I don't love him anymore. Okay, so right there, I mean, but, you when know,
1: Lucille is talking to Denise about meeting Richard at 3 a.m. Right. Yeah. Did you notice well, she, that for that conversation, the record player is not on and there is no loud music covering their voices? Oh yeah, and immediately Miss Clay walks in. Right after she says that.
0: Oh boy, you, you've, that's a very good observation, detailed observation. So based on the previous uh, supposition or, or conclusion that they turn the record player on loud to hide what they're talking about, mm-hmm. and we've already in this particular case they didn't, right? Yeah.
1: So that explains how and, the killer knows somebody's going to be at the pool at three a.m.
0: Mm. And again, like, you know, three o'clock is such an odd time to to reconcile when you're watching a movie like this, because you're like, you know, I can understand one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, but three between three and four, it gets to be the point where it's just too late. Like people really need to be sleeping at this point. And so are you really referring to 3 p.m.? But, like, so I got a com- the, the couple times, to- the, maybe the second time through, I was like, "What is it still nighttime? Are we still, like, all this shit is happening with the cops and all the girls and the shower and everybody. Yeah, it's and it's still between the same midnight night. and three. Yeah. And nobody looks like they're tired because well, they've been know, up all night. When I was 23 a.m., wasn't such a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yeah, it would be hard to do this with the. Uh, with, with, with people our age. I think Richard, be... the
1: 35 year old writing teacher, would have more trouble with 3 a.m. than Lucille would. <laughs> than anybody else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, OK, so. Um, Denise has been told to go and tell, you know, meet up with Richard to just make sure that. You know, Lucille keeps her spot. Um, so she does. And um, Denise is kind of milling around by the pool, waiting for Richard to show up. And then she's attacked um, by somebody in a scuba suit and they're in the pool. But um, Jill is onto this and she comes running out and um, she's going to rescue Denise from this Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. But I think at that point they cut to Lucille back in the office saying I killed her. I killed her. Um, It may be after all of the cops run out to see what's going on. And she's all by herself. I can't remember. Um, But there's, but that's, that's what happens. Like they, there's this commotion going on outside by the pool. And Lucille is, is still in the office. And she's like, I killed her. I killed her. And you're, I guess you're supposed to, you're supposed to wonder what she means by this. Is she confessing? Um, or as we come to know, she's basically saying, hey, I put her in a position where um, she was in danger. It's my fault. You know, I
1: think that's what she meant. Yeah.
0: But were we supposed to take anything from that other than that? Or, or is was it was it like the cops were supposed to hear her say that and. Say, is she confessing to the murder? I think it
1: was important plot-wise that the cops hear that because that gives them an extra scene later, you know. Right. got to find out what she meant when she said that, but...
0: Well, yeah, there you go. I don't think she was
1: really... Well, I don't know. I guess she might have felt a little bit guilty because, you know, Denise wouldn't have been there if she didn't tell her to go there, and apparently the killer was trying to kill her and not Denise.
0: But... But it almost seems like Lucille knows a little bit more than a little bit too much or like knows more than she's letting on. Like, what do you mean? Because there's some sort of commotion out by the pool. Is it just assumed that, you know, the killer was going to come out and attack? um, What's her name? Cynthia thinking it was Lucille, you know, like that's that's a kind of a stretch. But I don't know. Well, I guess she assumes that the only reason
1: somebody would be at the pool at 3 a.m. is because it would have something to do with, you know, the fact that she sent Denise to be there, you know.
0: But I I guess I wonder if Lucille has gotten to the point now where she suspects that this might have to, to do with her. Like, I mean, she doesn't. I don't think that she's aware of the specifics that she's got, you know, she's got this cousin. Okay, so
1: maybe she thought that the killer just happened to try to kill somebody at the pool and it wasn't really somebody trying to get her.
0: Yeah, like, uh, you know, saying Um, I killed her is like I, I put her in this position that she shouldn't have been put in and it's my fault. And I know that because I know the killer is after me. But at this point, I don't think that you're supposed to think that she knows the killer is Well, she's still her. thinking that I saw the body of Betty Ann in the bug house, and now it's Yeah, gone. no, that's true, too. And yep, I haven't been true.
1: exactly silent about that, you know, so it's probably gotten around.
0: And there's still a little bit of suspicion in her mind that it might be Richard.
1: Right, and they're leaving that open because they're still trying to pretend that Richard is a possible suspect.
0: Right. And the next scene where she meets up with Richard and he's on the horse for a minute or two, you're kind of like, what's going on here?
1: Right. They try real hard to make it look like he might be the killer. But, you know, again, we saw Betty Ann's reaction to the killer in the basement.
0: Right. And it wasn't Richard. It probably
1: most likely I'd say definitely wasn't Richard because her reaction would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Probably, most likely, definitely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How many more ways can I qualify this? <laughs> all three of those are correct, Just though. to cover my um, ass in case it was. <laughs> okay, so I've got a bunch of more bullet points for some, for some small scenes, and yeah. maybe some of them aren't as small. Um, w- immediately after this pool scene, they go looking for who this was, and they run into DeBrazzi. <laughs> And he's running around wearing a skin suit pants and says, you know, I'm fat. And if I run around outside with the skin suit pants, I, 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 I sweat more and that's helping me lose weight. Yeah. And he's it's so, cra- it's, <laughs> it's such a crazy excuse that it has to be true. Um, But meanwhile, they still think it might be him. And so they're looking for but the top. His hair wasn't the, wet.
1: His and shoes. True.
0: And even the, the suit he was wearing
1: wasn't dripping you know right and it's supposed to be this guy just jumped out of the pool yeah yeah his skin's not going to be wet because he's in a scuba suit but the scuba suit would be wet (laughs) you know right and he's running around trying to stay in shape and he doesn't even realize that jill already loves him just as he is you know (laughs) he could just (laughs)
0: <laughs> because she has a dad daddy she, she
1: sure does yeah
0: <laughs> and now she's had
1: her first swimming lesson you know with somebody else because he's not paying enough attention to her
0: uh yeah the the, the, the we'll get into the it wasn't it, it, everyone says argento brought freud into the uh into the giallo but yeah. maybe it's we're going back here um i oh, know that's not freud freud is the mother i don't know who the father is um Okay. Anyway, um, so they find Betty Ann's body in the field, um, and there's that weirdly awkward scene where it Miss Transfield says she was strangled, and the inspector says "good," and she and she says "good." Okay. <laughs> what do you mean "good"? And he's like, "I mean, from an investigation standpoint, it's good she was strangled because now we can get the fingerprints." Um, Right. But, um, mm-hmm. but the other thing is The inspector at that point I remember him going through Like the evidence and saying Okay the killer came out I still think the killer is after Lucille And the reason why Cynthia was Attacked is because we know That Cynthia went in Lucille's place The same reason why the killer thought That Lucille was the one in the shower And then Miss Transfield says Well what about Betty Ann And he says I'm not sure Maybe somebody knew something That, that they weren't supposed to know Um, but after this, Miss Clay starts to look, start looking for Lucio. Where is she? Where is she? Can I find her? Can I find her? Um, and let's see, you know, Professor Andre keeps coming in and out. He's like this old guy and you're supposed to watch this and go, you know, he's acting way too innocent to be innocent. So maybe we should be paying more attention to him, but. Turns out it's just another red herring with him. I I
1: feel so Um, bad for Professor Andre because he goes to try to talk to the detective. The detective blows him off. Then he goes to talk to Miss Transfield. She blows him off. She blows him off. And I'm thinking, you know, what if he was trying to confess? You know, what if he saw some, you know, oh, uh, Miss Clay actually isn't a woman. And I saw her changing into a scuba suit (laughs) and she had a dick. And she tucked it into the scuba <laughs> suit and nobody wants to listen to him. So he's just like, Hey, I'll go play with my bugs. You know, <laughs> right. I'll talk to him.
0: But, um, well, and this, this is uh, another thing that if you're not paying close enough attention, you'll uh, at least, at least for me, I didn't realize until the second time is that professor Andre has a house on campus besides the bug house. Like the bug house is just where he keeps a lot of his, uh, of his animals. And he goes there to take care of them. But in his own main main house, he also has a bunch of animals and bugs and stuff. And if you're not paying close enough attention, you'll think that both of those locations are the same location. At least that's what happened to me really? um, the first couple of times. Um, but eventually you realize that um, not only does Andre, um, Professor Andre, have his own place, but eventually Lucille is like, can I stay at your place uh, when she talks to him about it? Right. So and, and again, these are I don't know if these are throwaway scenes or or scenes to throw you off the trail or whatever, but um, he's just getting dismissed, obviously. And um, well, we also know that
1: Professor Andre's not a red herring because he doesn't look like he could drag a dead body across the fields. Like we saw. And,
0: yeah. And he also doesn't look like the person that you would react in fear to if exactly. you were in the cellar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Even foray, If he came into the shed,
0: you know, foray would be like, dude, I could take this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a stiff breeze could blow you over, Professor Andre. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so they continue to interrogate Denise. They're looking for Richard. Um, they talk about how Lucille will be of age very soon. Um, then there's the scene with Lucille and Richard. Um, Lucille runs out to meet Richard again. He's on horseback. There's this part in the scene where it looks like he's after her or to, to attack her or that he's really the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, it reminds me, I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene in, um, the girl who knew too much where, um, I don't remember anybody's character's names, but the main character who saw the murder and John Saxon's character, they're out on the beach and they're like taking like a break from all this investigation. And all of a sudden he comes up to her with this look on his face, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to attack you now. And um, it's kind of a temporary um, attempt at the film to say, wait a minute, guess what? Pay attention, because he's really the murderer, mm-hmm. and I think they did this again with this film with Richard on the horseback. But eventually, Richard was like, "Oh, you scared the horse, you bitch!" You know, like, why'd you do that? <laughs> <He's>, uh, <laughs> um, so, and then well,
1: of course, what I don't get about to, that is she's out there trying to find Richard. Okay, Richard shows up on a horse. She turns around and runs. I mean, yeah. she did kind of earlier. I mean, the scene where um, she chased off Betty Ann and started talking to Richard, uh, there's a little conversation about why don't you take, you know, why, why don't I teach you how to ride? Buh, buh, buh. And right. she says, oh, horses are frightening creatures. Okay, so I guess they kind of planted that seed early on. But. Okay. If you're going out looking for Richard and Richard shows up with the horse, you understand that Richard is the horse riding teacher. He can control the horse. Why freak out and turn around and run? A, like you're going to outrun the horse. Or B, like (laughs) he's trying to kill you, but you're just looking for him. And then she falls down again.
0: Again. As you do. And, I don't know. (laughs) Well, um, the the scene is uh, the other important aspect of the scene is we need to uh, th- they needed to establish this lime pit. Um, <laughs> every school has a
1: lime pit. Right?
0: At, every school has one, and it's near the horses, right? You know, um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll find that later. Um, we'll find we'll we'll find out about the lime pit later will come into play later. But, um, at this point, you know, Lucille just continues to act like, um, uh, you know, this kind of unintelligent or unattached or un you know, uh, dumb, uh, you know, young female and, uh, Richard basically talks her back into, Hey, you know, I don't know why you're so afraid of me. I, there's nothing wrong with us and, and me and I'm good. I'm a good guy. So um, while she's. After she gets over this guilt trip, um, there's this quick scene where it looks like he might throw her over the fence into the lime pit. Yeah. Um, but it's only there for a second. And all of a sudden, the next thing that happens is Miss Trans uh, Field mm-hmm. is like, hey, Lucio, we found you. And so she runs off um but then there's a, a very throw well what seems like a throwaway scene that gets um revisited at the very end where Richard sees something he's looking at something in the lime pit I think and Miss Clay is there um watching him and I think like, at the very end, they talk about how Richard says um, he found something in the lime pit. Um, but I can't remember what it is. It's something related to Miss Clay's character. I don't know if you remember that. All right. Well, I'm looking back at it now. Okay, so Lucille leaves
1: with Miss Transfield. He's standing out there by himself. He's walking with his horse. He's down near the lime pit. He doesn't notice anything in the lime pit yet, okay? So now the film is telling us there's nothing in the lime pit at this point. He walks past the bush. Hey, what's this? Reaches down to pull something out, and Miss Clay is behind the tree, watching.
0: Right. Okay. So it wasn't actually in the lime pit, but he did find something. No,
1: because... Right before he reaches under the bush, they, there's a shot of him and the horse walking past the lime pit where there is nothing yes. but lime. But it's almost like he knows there's something under that bush. Because, you know, we don't see yeah, anything. He, there's no shot where he notices something and, hey, what's this? You know, he kind of just goes straight to it.
0: Yeah, he almost actually has this kind of demeanor like, I plan to stop here and look here. Right. Right. In, instead of oh my gosh, I just caught something out of the corner of my eye. Let me go investigate. Yeah, and but
1: Miss Clay is already there, watching from behind a tree. So right, maybe she was on her way to plant the uh, you know the bathtub redhead trunk girl in the clay pit. Or yeah, the lime pit.
0: So I don't know cuz that would ha- cuz that's eventually that's the whole reason why Clay is out there at this point like she's needs to stage the rest of right the, she the situation she needs to end everything right
1: because it's getting too um
0: she's tried to kill Lucille like 3 times now and keeps forgetting and right screwing something up so okay you See, Lucille um, doesn't know who the killer
1: is so if she plants this you know the real Miss Clay the redhead and leave some suicide note that takes the blame for everything. Right. That would close it off.
0: And that and that's what she tries to do at the end. So the next scene is, um, well, there's a scene with Professor Andre putting a, a, a nail through a butterfly. Because he loves animals. Because um, he, he loves animals so much. Um <laughs> So then the next scene is they find this charred blackened body face down in the lime pit, um, which looks like a very man-made lime pit. Um, And it turns out that it's Miss Clay, as they know her as Miss Clay. um, But they can't identify her as such because she's been burned beyond recognition. I guess it's because, what, the clothes that were on the body are the same? Is that how they know?
1: I guess. So the idea is that the lime would melt away her face to where you can't see her facial features. And apparently it changes her hair color, too, because Miss Clay wasn't wearing a red wig during all this. No. But the idea that that would happen within, like, what, 20 minutes? I mean, I've never disposed of a body in a lime pit (laughs) yet, but I would imagine it would take more than... A short amount of time for the face to melt off to the point where oh, I don't know who it is. Good luck. You know, thank God she's wearing this bracelet, you know.
0: Right. Well, maybe, you know, Miss Clay dumped the body in lime a long time ago. It rotted away and she brought it back. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a stretch, obviously. Uh <laughs> yeah, this isn't where I'm gonna draw the line with this
1: film. <laughs> you know? Right. Everything else was great <laughs> until then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um. So eventually, they find Miss Clay's suicide note. Right. Um. And they don't discuss it in detail yet. The next scene is Lucille is still looking for Richard. She goes to Doc uh, Professor Andre's house. And I guess it's because in a previous scene, she said, professor Andre, can I stay with you? Um, Betty Ann is dead. And you know, like professor Andre is still kind of three or four hours behind the rest of the people in the cast. Like he's still trying to figure out what's going on. Right. And Lucille is filling him in and he's like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. What can I do to help? Can I stay with you? So she goes back to his house to find him. And, um, Richard appears in the window. and She's like, oh, my God, it's Richard. He's in the window. Um, and she walks in. And, and Richard, he's obviously OK. <laughs> he flies down the steps, tumbles down, and he's he's dead. At least we think he's dead. And then you, she looks up and uh, we see Miss Clay. But the real person ah, who isn't Miss Clay. We see Mr. Clay. It's Mr. Clay. He's Miss Clay has molded himself or herself, to use the correct uh, verb mm-hmm. metaphor, right. into Pierre uh, Lucille's cousin, and um, I think that the only thing that is elementary about this whole film, I mean, like the 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 things that Miss Clay did or Pierre did to um, keep people off of his trail and to eliminate suspicion and to accomplish his goals. Very complex. But the motive is I just want to keep your money. And if I kill you, I get to keep it. Right. Like that's really all it is. Um, And, you know, the, the brilliant aspect of what I think is the brilliant aspect of this film. um, And it's something that, I really had a nice aha moment to the first time I was watching this is he killed this woman at the very beginning of the film, sent her body and pretended to be her back to the school just so he could kill this other person and brought the body back so that he could use the body as a way of blaming it on the other person. And like all of that has a huge payoff at the end. Once you see, you know, you know, the, the real Mrs. Clay's body in the lime pit and the suicide note and the whole idea that um, the the quote unquote real Mrs. Clay, who's been dead the whole time, right. wanted to kill Lucille um, and Lucille isn't even dead yet. But by writing the suicide note and by showing by 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 throwing the body in the lime pit, the cops will eventually be able to follow the trail to the point where they find Lucille's body and blame it on Miss Clay anyway. And Pierre can just. You know, shuffle off and take all the money, and he's in good shape.
1: Okay, so are we supposed to, you know, as far as the way the killer is rationalizing things in the film, are we supposed to believe that the real Miss Clay, or whoever Miss Clay is, killed Lucille and Richard in Professor Andre's house? And then what? Ran to the lime pit to commit suicide? Yeah, that's a good question,
0: right? Because
1: death by lime pit. I mean, didn't
0: didn't we? But but the timeline is: didn't Miss Transfield and Lucille walk away from the lime pit not too long ago, before the body was found? And then later on, Lucille's found in Professor Andre's house dead, like. Yeah, I that, guess it really doesn't matter point that point. much. If you look at the timeline. Yeah, the timeline doesn't doesn't jive, so but I don't think for... Did they
1: find the body in the lime pit before or after somebody last saw Lucille? Because otherwise it wouldn't work.
0: Right. Well, I mean, obviously we know that they found the body in the lime pit while it was still daylight out. Right. But Lucille um, goes over to Professor Andre's house and that whole end scene happens at nighttime. Right, because it looks like the sun has already gone down. But that so you'd have really to be gambling important. on the
1: fact that nobody is going to see Lucille between finding right. the lime pit body and her coming. Yeah, to yeah, pass, yeah, right. Which is kind of a stretch. But to me, the biggest stretch is that somebody would commit suicide by jumping in a lime pit. <laughs> I mean, God, right. there's gotta be easier it's ways be to easier go. Ways, yeah,
0: for sure. <laughs> For sure. Maybe a lot of people just, were
1: doing that, you know, getting hopped up on acid and thinking they could swim in line. <laughs> Maybe that's why you don't have lime pits all over the place anymore,
0: you know? Well, I mean, unless you believe that the amount of damage you can do to yourself by just jumping from the top part where the gate is into the lime pit would kill you. And it's just a convenience convenience that you fall into a lime pit to completely obliterate your identity. Well, and, you know. Pierre
1: has to obliterate the face and you know distinguishing physical features of the body to get away with it. Because otherwise he'd be like, uh, no, the, the Miss Clay we knew had a different type of nose and red hair or brown, you know? So you kind of have to work in some way to not really be able to identify the body or else the whole thing goes, you know, doesn't
0: work. Well, plus he's working against the time of the, uh, the the time when the fingerprints expert is going to be able to identify him, too, yeah, to, because to take the fingerprints off the neck of Betty, Ann. Uh, of Betty Ann. Right. Exactly. So but I think that if you want to think about this from a more rational sense, it's like Miss Pierre doesn't really care that much. He basically just wants to kill who he needs. He he needs to kill Lucille. Right. She needs to die one way or the other. And as long as he can get it done and get the hell out of there before anybody knows it's him, then he's good to go. Whether or not they finally eventually believe that it was Miss Clay, the person that they found in the lime pit, I don't know that it matters. Although, you know, the police have already named the cousin as somebody that they're interested in following right, up on. Right, they need so, to
1: find this cousin. Yeah, so they've at least closed the circle that much.
0: Yeah. And they had to do that in order to give us some information as the viewer to, to follow along. So, But, you know, when, but when you look um, at the
1: objectives of the killer, there's a million different ways they could have done this a lot easier. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> if if Miss Clay or the killer as Miss Clay had just shown up at the school... And maybe poisoned Lucille, you know, slip a little something in her bedtime tea or whatever and then go home and You'd be done. Yeah, yeah. And then forget it. Or if, uh, you know, you know, Lucille is going to Professor Andre's house. And that's one of the questions I have at the end. Where's Professor Andre? You know,
0: yeah, where'd he go? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, somebody's playing Weekend at Bernie's with Rick. Richard in your house and where the hell are you you know right and maybe if you leave a suicide note in Miss Clay's you know quote unquote in Miss Clay's uh, room back at the school lure Lucille into the house with Richard burn the house down with the redhead Miss Clay's body in it and then just kind of slip out the back you know you could get away that way right but because I'm, I'm just still stuck on the nobody commits suicide by jumping in a line pit that's just yeah, dumb. yeah it's,
0: it's hard to get hard to get i mean i get that. you have to yep. hide
1: your features of the body you know so but there's other ways to do it <laughs> <laughs> or just say yeah. Instead of a suicide note, just be like, "Yeah, I'm Miss Clay. Fuck everybody. I killed this woman. And catch me if you can. And then rip off the wig,
0: put on your pants, and get on the train and live happily ever after." You know. But the only but but that wouldn't work because then if that was the case, then why would you bring the body in the trunk and all the way up back up to the school, which is in a big place.
1: risk, right? Yeah, because when they were taking that trunk off of the hood of the well off the roof of the van. You know, what if weenie LaFerre dropped it and it fell on the ground and popped open, you know?
0: Right. Exactly. You you can't even anticipate that if you're Pierre, but you just have to. Yeah. And then to to, leave it in the
1: basement for so long when people are going in and out of that basement all the time to get their scuba gear or to check for their whatever, (laughs) you know, and all those trunks kind of look the same.
0: Right. Maybe somebody's going to open the wrong one. Oops. I was expecting Unless they're locked up with some. Here's this dead redhead. (laughs) Wrong trunk. Silly me. From the green bathwater. She smells like olive oil. (laughs) (laughs) She must be Italian. (laughs) Don't tell the
1: the students. They'll get excited.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, okay. So. Struggle ensues. Mm -hmm. Um, Richard is not actually dead. Um, But Jill has been following along, and she calls the cops on her walkie-talkie, hoping that the one that she left under the pillow is still there. um, Because now, um, whether they've heard her or not, she's going to throw hers through the window, I guess, to create some (laughs) sort of a diversion. (laughs) So... (laughs) But now, um, Pierre has a gun and there's this scene, I guess at the end, I might have to watch it again, but it seems like the first time the gun goes off, it's because Pierre may have been shooting at somebody else, but it also may just be because he was shot for the first time by the cops and you know, because he's got the strength of a murderer uh, like Scarface, he's not going to stop. Uh-huh. Um, and now it's going to be the next um, bullet that actually takes him down, but takes him down slowly. So that's what ends up happening. A couple of gunshots and Pierre's on the floor. Um, and the cops roll in. They must have heard the CB radio or the, I'm sorry, the they must have heard the walkie-talkie um, from Jill. and um, Or the gunshot, right? Right, if the, if, if, yeah, I, again, it's, I don't know, did you, did you think that Pierre sh- fired any shots in the scene, or was it all coming from some off-screen Well, wait, I gun. guess nobody's
1: fired the gun yet. Okay, I'm scrolling through that scene again. Okay, he comes down the stairs, struggle with a knife. Richard has uh, quit playing Bernie and decided to start moving. Which is so weird, because when you see him through the window, it fully looks like he's dead. Right. And, like, five minutes later, he's, you know, fighting to save the life of his whatever.
0: Well, and here's the other thing, too, which I'm glad you—I don't know why, you know, why we're focusing on this, but, like, if he was in a position physically to be able to be propped up in a window to look like— a dead person Mm -hmm. or to look like a a person with eyes open and awake. Yeah. He's either got to be completely dead or alive. And in this case, he's not, he's been, something's happened to him and he's out of it and he's coming to, you know, like he he either hit his head and he's coming, coming to, but if, if that was the state that he was in, he wouldn't have been able to been propped up in the window. Yeah. It's
1: too convenient for the plot.
0: Yeah. And,
1: Okay, so he's bleeding, so apparently the killer did what? Stabbed him before he propped him I up in the so. window? Yeah. Okay, I would guess Richard could take Mr. Clay any day, you know? So I guess he snuck up on him or something.
0: Yeah, hey, I, I, you have to assume that, I think. Yeah. I think Richard could beat the hell out of Mr. Clay. Right. Um, but again, I'm watching this last the last couple of seconds here and um, the, the gun goes off when the lights are out okay. and then you, you see Pierre continue to walk and then alright I'm watching it again he's at the they window hear the gun, they hear the gunshot everybody's he bends on down the floor, to turn the light on right? and he looks fine he does not look injured. He fires and The gun, gun goes off again. Right. So it's one of those fake drops me out gun. whose gunshot was
1: it things. Right. And then Durand is standing there saving the day.
0: Right. And they do all of those kind of like fast zooms In. to like say, here, here, this person is, here, this person is. Jill turns around and looks at him
1: like, I just remembered you're an older man too.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> hey. my, my world is full of these older men people.
1: He's like, I found well, her walkie talkie.
0: Well, you know, and just to talk about the Joe character, like, I think the first time I watched the film, I was annoyed by Jill for the first, you know, third. And then once she started to really be a valuable um, asset to me being the armchair investigator, I started to like her I started to like her character. And then when the cops were dismissing, you know, her contributions, I was pissed. I'm like, dude, you guys should be listening to Jill. Like she knows what's going on. Um, but that's probably also because I had watched the movie already once and I knew that she was, you know, she had reason to be concerned about all the stuff that was going on, but I don't know. Yeah. She's, a. I liked her. I liked her, uh, at the end, I got to the point where I was like, Yeah, I, I'm a fan of, of Jill and the Jill character, and she's a perfect amateur detective. Um, she fills out the, the, the Jallo score criteria for this one uh, with regard to the amateur detective um, rule. Uh, so, you know, I was happy about that. So, um, now what I think is interesting is typical of, atypical of most Jolly in the classic time period um, we have at least another three to four minutes of aftermath you know epilogue kind of stuff whereas if you watch a lot of these it's like the killers revealed something bad happens to the killer um, ten more seconds 20 more seconds credits roll right you know Um, but in this one we've got you know a this, this whole end scene that starts with this close-up of them pouring the tea um, and Richard basically saying that he had found what is it Richard found Pierre's case I think he's I, the, I think the um, I, I think the subtitle said case but I, I could be wrong
2: uh-huh.
0: I don't know I don't know what he says in Italian when he's talking to um, Durant. At the end, oh wait, I just saw it. Wait, hang on. I found.
1: So is it where he says your cousin made a
0: mistake? Something about how he had to hurry because the fingerprints were going to. the The fingerprints were going to incriminate him. He so he needed to hurry, and that's why he threw the body in the lime pit. Uh huh. Um, I'm still looking at it here. Um, he bought the real Miss Clay's body here so he could escape after killing Lucille. This letter would have eliminated the doubts, but why did he throw the body into the lime pit before he could kill me? Otherwise, the f- fingerprints on Betty Ann's neck would have given him away. I'm reading the subtitles. He had to hurry. If it had not been for you, Richard, it says he found Pierre's case at the lime pit. Uh-huh. But I don't know what case they're talking about. Like That might
1: have been where... Uh, miss clay was keeping her other clothes right which doesn't make sense either
0: and is that the scene that we were talking about before where he's walking with the horse and then stops and looks behind he notices
1: something under the bush or something like that yeah right yeah so that and that would explain why miss clay was there and saw him you know because she was going to get her man clothes or right that Gotcha. She was making sure the coast was clear to drag the body and put it in the pit.
0: That was her little home base. That little that little bush. Yeah, by her the line little bit. hidey hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, so um, you know the 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 love interest. Um, you know the love story is um, concluded. She's going to turn eighteen soon. He won't be uh, a rapist anymore, and they can go ahead and and live their wonderful love lives Mm -hmm. um meanwhile jill is um still in the film to for a second or two and her father shows up out of nowhere
1: in a mustang
0: and (laughs) yeah he's referred he's referred to as 009 in the um in in the subtitles at least which is obviously a reference to 007 which is the James Bond yeah a lot of the,
1: the Euro spy films had very thinly disguised double something for their uh, the Euro spy films so I think that's another holdover from doing the Euro spies
0: that Margariti did yeah, that, yeah that's a good point that it could be that he brought that aspect into it but I'm just looking at this last scene and um, I'm kind of channeling Matt's um, inner fashion um, sense, but uh, with her pants, um, that she's wearing, she's got this vertical striped pantsuit. That's probably the best outfit in the whole movie. Yeah. But it does so many different things for the story because, A, everybody else was dressed, you know, through the whole movie, everybody was dressed the same until now, mm-hmm. um, except every once in a while jill changed her outfit a little bit as we talked about before just to kind of represent that she's a little different but if you look at her in this vertical striped pantsuit she looks a lot more mature than she ever did right and i think that's supposed to be like she solved the case you know she's earned the respect of the men as and especially the police officers Uh, All of a sudden. And compared to the dresses that we see
1: Denise and Lucille wearing when they are talking to Durant at the pool, or wherever they are, uh, that pantsuit is very masculine, relatively speaking. And throughout the whole movie, uh, Jill has had the most kind of boyish haircut out of everybody. Right. So I think there's something to that. I mean, I think they're playing pretty hard with gender stuff. Yeah, throughout this whole. Well, thing.
0: and and what's what's kind of ironic, maybe if that's I don't know if ironic is the right word, but what's ironic about that is that the next scene she runs over to her father, whose f- face is not even ever shown on on screen, and jumps into his arms like a baby. Uh-huh. So. Despite the fact that we've just established that visually she's been transformed into something a little bit more mature, a little bit more masculine. She immediately jumps back into this other role of the child because her father has shown up, um, which is pretty weird. Well, see, like, I'm wondering that they if would... that's
1: really her father. Right.
0: Because of the way mm. when
1: Duran goes and answers the car phone, which who thought we'd have those ever. Right. He somebody <laughs> says, uh, like, New Order's 009, right? And he says, 009 uh, right. is busy, wank, wank, right?
0: And. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think that we are so jaded as an internet porno culture. Well, I get it. That, well The
1: ending of almost every Roger Moore, James Bond film had that kind of thing, you know? Yeah,
0: right. He, he got the girl and he's indisposed right now, but.
1: 909. 90- O-9 is busy. He is working on case Jill. <laughs>
0: yeah, come
1: on. and then they're unloading some more trunks because it never ends. Yeah,
0: that's that's really creepy if you think about it that way. And I don't want to. I I prefer to. Well, I'm to to stay where I was, thinking that you know it's just a father daughter reunion, and they're catching up, and they're having an awesome wholesome time. Well, maybe but that's not really your me. dad.
1: I don't know. <laughs> If you think about it like that, it's not so creepy. He's just some dude who doesn't have a gray hair on his head, but he drives somehow in Europe in 1968. He has a banging Mustang.
0: Well, it certainly explains the fact that she's attracted to older men. So, yeah. you know, well, we talked about that already. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, And then they can't end the movie without one more joke about the trunk. <laughs> Um, And then uh, what I what I thought was the funniest was the last few seconds you see uh, DeBrazi jogging by. He's still trying to lose weight. And in the background, you see Miss Transfield and her friend, Miss Martin, Martin standing Uh next to each other. And then they take the they take the case out of the van. And the one guy goes, man, this is so heavy. It probably has a dead body in it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and the movie ends and like when, when a movie when, when a Jalo specifically does a little bit more after the killer reveal to do those little funny tie-ins uh-huh. uh, it, it just it makes me like it more it makes me want to watch it w- more than once so right and this and that's what happened with me with this in, one. Th- and
1: through um, the whole movie nobody realized there was a body in the trunk no, not once. You know, even when it's over. Not once. And that's the first question you ask yourself within the first five minutes. You're like, oh, when is somebody going to find the body in the trunk? And it never yeah, when's happens.
0: The, <laughs> when's the lid going to open and the body fall out and someone scream? It doesn't right. happen. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. No, they that's, deprive that's, you of that. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, and that's it. And that's and the credits roll, but they're not even credits. It just says the end. So, um Yeah, I really, I really like this film and I'm on the one hand, sorry, it took so long for me to watch it. But on the other hand, I'm happy that I watched it after having all of the background that I had when I went into it, because I think it made it better. I think I would have probably dismissed it as stupid and uneventful if I had watched it like, I don't know, five, six years ago. Yeah. So.
1: Well, it's cool having the context of stuff that comes later and a little bit of stuff that came before that, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I just said, you know, we never find out. Nobody in the film ever finds who was in the trunk. And I wouldn't have expected so much that they would if I hadn't seen all the movies that came later where they usually do for things like that. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, even, like, the only thing that comes to mind right away is... Just those kind of, you know, I think jump scares have evolved over time. Mm -hmm. But back in the 60s, late 60s, I think it was much easier to do a jump scare. um, Probably because audiences weren't even used to seeing a dead body on the screen that often. Yeah. Compared to the way we are now. So like in Blood and Black Lace, I think the first girl who gets murdered is stuffed into some sort of locker or compartment or something. And the woman who runs the fashion house goes over to open the door and the body's hand like kind of falls out and she screams. And that's what, that's what that reminded me of. It was like um, back then that scene was enough. Was, was, you know, was jolting enough, I guess, to be a jump scare for audiences. But um, in this film, you know, watching it as a, a modern audience, we go, yeah, they've missed an opportunity to do that same thing in this movie where, you know, somebody opens the crate and the body falls out and there's some loud music and there's a scream right. and a commotion. You know, Um they never did that. I mean, they did it with, uh, you know, other, you know, other in other situations, the body in the in the um, in the bug house and the body on the floor, you know, in the shower. But right. but it's a good point. Right. Like this body, just the, the original person who was murdered for the whole sake of setting all of these events into motion is sitting in this trunk and no one has, had, has any uh, awareness of it. And
1: they kind of set it up when Betty Ann goes into the basement. Because the first time I was watching it, I was like, oh, no, she's going to find the body in the trunk. And then, yeah. you know, psych, she's going to get killed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I kept thinking when I when they showed the whoever go down there and start dragging the trunk out of the basement, I'm asking myself, okay, is Betty Ann in the trunk too? Mm. Did they cram right. two bodies in the trunk? Where's Betty Ann? Right. Or is that, you know. Is that somebody trying to steal the scuba gear? But why would they need the scuba gear? Because they hadn't same the... Well, you know, the second time I saw it, I was like, well, that's probably the guy or whoever stealing the scuba gear. Stealing the scuba gear, right. But that wasn't a thing yet because they hadn't made the date for 3 a.m. at that point, I don't think. Maybe they had, but I don't know. But mm. it kind of sets you up to think somebody's going to find the body, but then they don't. Yeah. You find another body where you're not expecting it, right? Yep. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but, you know, I think there were a few plot holes and a few giveaways oh, oh, as far of as, course. you know, I don't think they had to dub Mrs. Clay's voice with a man. <laughs> they could have <laughs> found some uh, some woman who smokes like three packs a day, and give her a couple shots of whiskey, and recorded her voice, you know.
0: It's, well, it, it reminds me a little bit of there's a scene in Argento's deep red where Mark Daly's friend um, is gay and Mark goes to visit his friend wherever I know. I know what it is. He goes to visit. I don't know if, how familiar you are with deep red, but Mark Daly is on the trail and trying to figure out, you know, who the killer is and he mm-hmm. goes to visit his friend and he goes to his house and his mother answers the door and she's a little bit like got some dementia or whatever. Right. And uh, she's like, Oh no, you know, he's not here right now. I'll give you the address. And then Mark Daly goes to the address and the door is opened by somebody who is clearly a man. Yeah. That, but that guy is, was
1: a it, real thin mustache.
0: Yeah. He had a thin mustache, but he's dressed up like a, a woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. But you know, you're talking about, um, seven years later. Right. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that happened probably in those seven years to inform the culture a little bit. Um, well,
1: that was, you know, that was kind of cross-dressing or non-binaryism, whatever. That was a sexual thing to do with that person. I don't think in this film that Pierre was uh, doing that as some sort of identification thing other than I need to take the place of this teacher so I can get close
0: enough to kill this person, you know? Right. But it's, I don't, again, it it goes back to the whole idea that the whole theory that you're bringing up, which is for the 1968 audience, they look at this Miss Clay character and hear Miss Clay's voice and go, there's something wrong here. Right. Um, In the in the deep red movie, you see that basically this is a person with, you know, some sort of some male physical characteristics, but also um, choosing to have some female ones. Um, And it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But in this movie, in Naked You Die, it's like, well, if this is Miss Clay what's what's the deal? like and why isn't anybody talking about the fact that Miss Clay sounds like and looks like a man? <laughs> you know yeah. um should we should should we be the only ones who are noticing this or is it you know are are they all just pretending that it doesn't bother them or you know, and if
1: they had spent the whole movie dubbing Miss Clay's voice with a female actress's voice, and then just for the very last bit where, <laughs> uh, change it to, you know, somebody yes. very macho, an octave lower voice. I would have, I would have chuckled, but I wouldn't have spent the whole movie rolling my eyes every time she opened her mouth. You know, like,
0: <laughs> and I think well, that's a good point. The, that's a good for
1: point. me. A, an interesting little button on this whole film is that the killer is a is uh, a man who's dressing like a woman. Okay. But it's played by a woman who's playing a man dressing as a woman.
0: Is the is the is the I didn't even look this up. Is the Pierre Miss Clay actor a female? Yes. Oh, okay. Her name. See that? uh, Well, I had it. That makes it even more weird. Yeah,
1: she was only in two films. One that came out. One was like a made-for-TV thing about Saint Francis of Assisi. And this was the only other film that she was in, but her name is something mm. like Ludmila Lavova, which is you know, huh. kind of Eastern European name. Okay. But I found a clip of the maiden, uh, made-for-TV St. Francis thing that she did. I couldn't find the whole film, but I found a clip where she speaks, and her voice, at least as it was dubbed or recorded for real, was very different. Okay. So, mm. and it's, it's a woman, you know. So if I'm yeah it's kind of like um have you ever seen victor victoria no with uh, julie andrews right Uh, it's a blake edwards film where julie andrews is during it's set during the the great depression you know everybody's broke brother can you spare a dime all that kind of stuff she gets a job at a nightclub playing a female impersonator but she is a female so she has to pretend right. that she's a man to get a job as a female impersonator and then Okay. Okay. So that's kind of like what happened for real with this film. Yes. Okay. So yes. you're hiring a woman to play the part of a man playing the part of a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: so it's like a real it's
1: it's I'm so woke. I don't know how to be offended, but I am. Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> if, if there was a female, uh, if there was a female version of the word clay, then you could make the instead of Victor Victoria, it could be, right. yeah. you know, Clay Claytoria, Claytoria. <laughs> <But, laughs> whatever. Um, I'm losing it. But uh, that, that—that's. I didn't know that. I should have. Um, I should have known that going in. I should have looked that up. That the uh, that the actor was female. Oh well, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> nuts. <laughs> and then to dub it with a man anyway. <laughs> all nice. Yeah, there's like five different genders in, involved in that that one character. Yeah. Enjoyed this film. I am definitely putting it on my list of rewatchables. I think it's rewatchable.
1: Uh I don't know if it'd be in my top ten rewatch, you know. Uh if I was flipping through the channels and it came on, I might stop and watch it for a bit. I don't Uh know if it's one of my derail the rest of my TV plans.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That's, uh, you know, it may be because it's new to me that I feel this way. And, and as time goes on, I'll find something better to put in that slot. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But, but
1: I mean, there was... are plenty of films, even jolly that I watch once and I'm thinking it'll be a long time before I ever want to sit through that again. Yeah. You know, not just because, you know, not so much that it was horrible. It's just, it was a bit much or, uh, it was too long or it had boring sp- parts in the middle. This one yes. wasn't really boring at all. It propelled pretty nicely, you know, through you know point to point.
0: Yeah, I didn't find it boring either.
1: Um, and I could see myself watching it again, uh, but you know, probably not within the next few months.
0: I think that uh, we're going to try to do this on a regular basis. I like Al. This has been great. I think this is uh, something that I, I would enjoy doing again soon and hopefully we can get Matt, um, to join us for a discussion. I don't know if it would be fun to do a running commentary recording instead of a scene by scene recap recording. I mean, I, I enjoy doing it this way cause you can certainly stretch it out and talk for as long as you want. Whereas if you're doing running commentary, you kind of have to fit your comments into the running time. But again, this was great. It was great having you on. I hope we can do this again. And for everybody out there, um, get in touch by going to the Facebook um, group called Jalo Chow Chow Volume Two or J- Jalo Chow Chow podcast. I forget what it's called. And um, you can get in touch with me through there. You can get in touch with Al through there. And um, the score.com is my website, and you can get in touch with us via email. And that would be um, jalochowchow at gmail.com. So um, hope to uh, see everybody again or talk to everybody again next, next month or next time we do it. And, um, we'll try and get Matt on. And again, thanks, Al, for um, doing all this and getting involved and spending your Sunday evening uh, with me. It was fun.
1: No problem. Thank you. And happy birthday to Matt. Or bon compliano, as we say over here.
0: <laughs> awesome. And we'll see you guys next time. So until then, a ciao, ciao, everybody.